Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we continue our study through the New Testament. And we start here in verse 1. Paul says in verse 1, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. Now, it's very important to remember that it's uh, 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 Paul and Timothy together. Remember in uh, 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 chapter 1, verse 1, you see uh, Timmy's with him, little Timmy, a future pastor. It was prophesied for him to be pastor. And what's so beautiful is that when you remember our study through Philippians, and in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, you see that he has, Paul has no one as like-minded as little Timmy, as Timothy. No one as like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Now you see the beauty of this bubble of Paul, so to speak. When I say this bubble, if you remember our study through the book of Acts, and up until now you've heard us make the reference of, you know, this bubble, it's very holy. Of course, you see, among the saints, it's holy. The church is holy. But then at the same time, within this special entourage, so to speak, of Paul, it's training the next generation of ministry leaders, of pastors and elders and in the sake of Timmy uh, uh, I say little Timmy because if you remember our study through Acts you see like little boy Timmy he goes under the wing of Paul becomes Paul's wingman and then all of a sudden Paul trains him how to fight how to engage and how to fight the good fight of faith not according to the flesh according to the spirit and 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 you see that beautiful uh, union of Paul and little Timmy and you know how beautiful it is when you look at the, the state of the church, you know that, you know, here in Colossians, Paul's about ready to die. He's, you know, just years away from being beheaded historically by Nero, uh, but historically beheaded by Nero. Here, he's, this is one of his prison letters. But so what's so powerful is that when you see uh, uh, that... Uh, Little Timmy, you know, big Timmy now because he's an adult, uh, but big Timmy now, what happens is that he's going to be the next pastor as a successor, so to speak. And I don't like saying successor because it sounds too businesslike, but just this next generation of pastoral leadership. And you know that those under Timothy are in good hands, are in good hands. And that's what's so powerful about training the next generation of pastoral leadership pastors you see, training the next generation of pastoral leadership, not treating church like a business, not treating church like a business where like, okay, my, my son is going to be the pastor. No, you, you might have the most wicked son in the church. You see, you say, oh, we're, we're, we're the church. We're holy. Don't forget that judgment comes first to the church. Prophetically speaking, biblically speaking, judgment comes first to the church. And in the last days, what does that mean? That means the church is going to be a straight up mess. What do we see today? The church is straight up mess. You see, I just call it like I see it. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but we got to call. We got to be honest. Let's be straight up. We got to be honest because we're living in very serious times. The Bible refers to the last days as perilous times for a reason. The Bible refers to these last days as times of sorrows for a reason. Remember when Paul says, you guys, your rejoicing isn't good to the church in Corinth. Your rejoicing isn't good. You say, well, wait a second. They're, they're saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah. They're gathering together. How could this not be a good thing? Why? Because there was leaven in the church. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. You'll understand. Actually, if, if you're listening for the first time, welcome. I love you. But listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and get yourself caught up to this point because you'll learn about maturing and growing in Christ. It's very important. 
And so here in verse 1, Paul says, I want you to know what great conflict I have for you. It's so powerful when you see this, this great conflict, because this conflict is struggle and anxiety. You see, struggle and anxiety. We, we, let's, it, it's, it's very important for us to see things and study things in proper perspective. It's like, wait a second. Paul says in Philippians 4 to be anxious for nothing. Does that mean that I can never have anxiety? And a lot of times Christians, my beautiful brothers, my beautiful sisters in Christ, have this war within them. Like, wait a second, I have anxiety, I have high anxiety, I have depression, I have sorrow, I have, you know, X, Y, Z, and one, two, three, in terms of emotion. Now, emotions are so incredibly powerful, beautiful, because, you know, it's part of the human experience. In life, we will have these sorrows and the sadness and the depression and the anxiety and the anger, you know, anger and rage even, you know, when you're so angry and it's like, oh my goodness. And it's not to say like, okay, you know, you're angry, so go ahead and beat this kid up. You're angry, so go ahead and beat this guy up. You're angry, and so go ahead and do that. No, it's to understand how we respond to anger. And I tell you from experience The best way is to fall on our knees, not to go left, not to go right, not to go forward, not to go backward, is to fall on our knees and go to the Lord. You might have problems with anxiety. You might have problems with anxiety and, you know, you go to uh, Pastor 1, Pastor uh, 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 2, Psychiatrist 1, Psychiatrist 2, Therapist 1, Therapist 2, Doctor 1, Doctor 2, and all these things. And every hey, take these medications, take these medications. That's what happens with a lot of veterans. Veterans go to the VA hospital having these major uh, issues internally within oneself. And they go to the VA hospital. And, you know, I teach from America, just so you know. And so, like, you know, if you're listening, you're like, what is the VA hospital? You know, the VA hospital is like a hot, uh, a medical care for veterans. And so it, I teach from America. So that's the system we have for veterans that are not in the private market. So what happens is that the veterans, oh, you know, I'm going to go see the doctor. They go to the doctor and the doctor gives them prescription number one. They go, you know, they they speak to the therapist and they say, oh, well, you know, you need these, you need this and that and we're going to make you feel good. And so take prescription number two, takes prescription number three. And I tell you these things from experience. I used to sink all my sorrows in the bottle, alcohol. And I tell you from experience that when you go to Jesus Christ, and I'm talking about the real Jesus, the real Jesus. Remember, in the last days, when the disciples asked Jesus Christ, what is the, tell us what is the sign of your coming? The, the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, the one whose word is above his name, as the Bible indicates, as the Bible teaches, the one whose word is above his name. He's the one who says, you know, in response to the disciples who are wondering what are the signs of the times, he says, listen, I'm paraphrasing, but he says there's going to be many Christs, many Christs. I mean, read Matthew 24. If you've been walking with us for a while, you reflect back on our studies through Matthew 24. There will be many Christs propagated by false prophets, false teachers, There is no power in the fake. There is no power in... I shouldn't say it like that. Because, you know, Satan has power. Just like our studies in in Exodus. Remember, there was power in the gods of Egypt. 
But the gods of Egypt were not all powerful, not all mighty. Remember when, you know, the water turned red, the water turned blood red. And then, you know, the, the, the wise guys of Pharaoh, the wise, the, the religious leaders of Pharaoh says, look, we can do it too, Pharaoh. So don't believe, don't believe this Moses guy. Our gods can do it too. And absolutely, they, they had the power to do that. But when the hail came, that's when the religious leaders of Pharaoh in Egypt, they were like, whoa, we can do the blood. But when it comes to hail, Pharaoh, we can't do that. And then all of a sudden, those very wise guys were the ones who were imploring Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Moses, he says, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Pharaoh, let them go. Because, you know, what's coming down the pike ain't good. It is not good. So these Christs, these other Christs, not the real Christ, there is power behind them. But they're not going to heal. They will not heal because these other Christs, it's evil. It's satanic. They want you depressed. They want you in a state of being all messed up. Why? Because Satan wants to drag you to hell and he uses these propagators, the, his servants who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. Remember our study through Second Corinthians? He presents himself as an angel of light and so do his ministers presenting themselves as ministers of righteousness, propagating false Christ in accordance to another spirit and another gospel. And people today, they think, wow, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to go grave soaking like this pastor says. No, that's wrong. That's not the formula. That's another Christ. Oh, look, I'm a Christian. I'm abiding in Christ. And so I'm going to take the mark of the beast and still be saved. No, I'm sorry. That's another gospel. That's a different Jesus. There is no power there. Not, not power of the Almighty. You say, oh, look, I'm a Christian. I'm abiding in Christ. And I'm going to do what the money preacher says. Sorry. Doesn't work that way. The formula is wrong. You're not abiding in the real Christ. You're abiding in the fake. But I believe, I believe, I believe. Praise be to the Lord that you believe. But don't forget that even the demons believe. Do they obey Jesus? No. The demons believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. They know that he's Lord. As is written, Brother James writes. You see, even the demons believe, but they do not obey the real Jesus. And so what happens? Satan presents these other Christs. That's one of the signs of the last days. Other Christs. And I say these things to my brothers and sisters. And you might be listening for the first time and you're like, what? I'm not, I'm not even a believer. I've never heard this before. Well, if that's you, you become a believer. Let today be the day of salvation. It's a divine appointment. You see, just like you go to the doctor's office, you got a two o'clock appointment. This right here, right now is your divine appointment. You believe in Jesus Christ. You hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you come back and you listen. Because anxiety, depression, they're very, very valid issues and very incapac incapacitating, very arresting. I mean, so much so that the mental goes into the physical. And you might be dealing with that and you know exactly what I'm talking about. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? It is very true that Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. 
But understand here that when Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know what great anxiety, that's how it translates. I want you to know what great struggle, this war that's inside of me, this conflict that's inside of me, this anxiety that's inside of me. You know, it's so powerful because pastors today want to save face. Oh, I'm a pastor, so I don't have anxiety. Look, I got to be on the up and up and this and that. No, be straight up. Be straight up. If you're a pastor, you're listening, be straight up. Now, if there's hypocrisy and you, you know, be straight up and then, you know, repent and step down because there's hypocrisy. There's a biblical formula for pastors too. Remember Paul, our study through 1 Corinthians in chapter 3? When you know, maybe you are the field, you are God's building, but we are the workers. We make this distinction between field and worker. And if you're a worker, pastor, elder, ministry leader, if that's you, that's that's a little different, especially if you're in the teaching ministry, like teacher, pastor, elder, because Brother James says, Let not many be teachers. Remember, these are things that we study all the time, that we reference all the time, because we need to know these things. And pastors like to save face. Oh, I don't want the I don't want I don't want the congregation to know that I have anxiety. No, be straight up. And then deal with the anxiety in a manner that is ple- pleasing to the Lord in accordance with the blueprints set before us in the Word of God, such as Paul. Don't forget little Timmy's with him, big Timmy now. Little Timmy is with them. You see? And Paul says in verse 1, Colossians chapter 2, I want you to know these things, guys. I want you to know these things, saints in Colossae. I want you to know these things. What? That I have anxiety. But wait a second, Paul. You said in Philippians 4 verse 6 to be anxious for nothing. How is it that you have anxiety? Remember when we studied in Philippians 4 in verse 6, be anxious for nothing? It's, you know, not, not let it be incapacitating. Not let it be arresting. To not be distracted. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we do that? And a lot of times Christians get, my beautiful brothers and sisters, they get bummed out. Bummed out isn't the word. I just don't know how to say it. They get very, very discouraged, but like times a million. They get like, what's wrong with me? You know, the Bible says be anxious for nothing, but I'm anxious. What's wrong with me? And I know we have the, the, the fullness of joy in Christ, but I'm depressed. What's wrong with me? You know, I, I know that the Bible says, you know, uh, uh, you know, that we have all of this fullness of joy and this and, you know, these beautiful things. But man, I am mad. I am straight up mad. What's wrong with me? You see? And sometimes you seek a pastor. You seek counsel from a pastor, an elder, somebody inside the church. But if their formula is wrong, they're going to give you messed up uh, solutions. If they're the money preachers, they're going to give you messed up solutions. If they say, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be safe. They're going to give you messed up solutions. If, you know, if they say, let's go grave soaking, they're going to give you messed up solutions. You say, what in the world is he talking about? You might have been listening for us for a while. You know what I'm talking about. The money preachers, the mark of the beast guys, and then, you know, the, the grave soakers, the glitter people who say the Holy Spirit is the glitter. But, you know, you go back to our studies through 1 Corinthians and you'll we, we cover all of that. And you might want to listen to our study. It's called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast because there are pastors today who are saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Unbiblical. A direct pathway to damnation. Never, ever, 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 ever take the mark of the beast. But a lot of Christians in their minds like, wow, what's wrong with me? The Bible says be anxious for nothing. And here I am. I'm anxious. 
I struggle with anxiety. I go to the doctor, they give me these pills, I take pill number one, pill number two, pill number three, and look, I'm a zombie now. I've had these conversations before with believers. And I tell you from experience, I used to drown all my sorrows in the bottle. To my shame, I used to call alcohol my God. I have seen the face of God, I would say, of alcohol, to my shame, of which I have been saved from. By the blood of Jesus Christ. I tell you these things from experience. It's not just, oh, wow, look, I read this book and I'm going to say this now. Oh, look, I saw this on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, and I'm going to say this now. Nope, that's not me. You'll find that in others. But with me, I tell you these things from experience. It's the Lord who rescued me. Him and Him alone. The real Jesus, not the fake. Of which are many in the last days. Many Christs. But the real Christ, His word is above His name. So you struggle with anxiety? You have issues with depression and anger and rage? My vice back in the day was anger, where anger became rage, where I didn't care about police, I didn't care about prison, I didn't care about jail. That that was a vice in me that the Lord rescued me from. The blood of Jesus Christ, walking with him, growing in him, and then understanding not just his blueprints, but his rules of engagement. You see, and when you listen to our study through uh, uh, Ephesians, you'll understand the rules of engagement, spiritually speaking, according to the word of God. So you have anxiety, depression, anger, whatever it is. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but what do I do? Paul says here that he has this great conflict, this great struggle, this anxiety within him. So what's the disconnect? He says, be anxious for nothing, but now he's anxious. So, okay, you know, and mockers, you know, it is also written that in the last days there will be mockers. And the mockers say, you see, this is fake. So, you know, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. And here he is being anxious. So therefore the Bible is fake. That's what the non-believers say. The agnostics, the Satanists, the Luciferians, that's what they say. Why? Because remember, Satan is going to burn in hell. He's going to hell. He knows it. He knows his time is short and he roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour and he wants to drag you with him. He doesn't want you to believe. Remember our references to Luke 8? He doesn't want you to believe. The seed goes in your ear and then he wants that seed to get right out of you. I don't want that to happen. We have to understand what's happening in the spirit realm. Oh my goodness, I have this anxiety. Oh my goodness, I have this anger. I have this rage. Oh my goodness, I'm so depressed. I'm so depressed. You know what we do? Well, you know what? Not just what you do, what we do. When we're anxious, when we're depressed, when we're angry, when we're full of rage, when we're even when we're joyful, happy. These emotions, it's part of the human experience. And you and me, we're in these earth suits. We're in the human experience right now, but we're in the world. We're not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're just passing through. So what do we do with our anxiety, depression, and fill in the blank? I go to my doctor, go to the VA. Get prescription number one, go to the therapist, go to the psychiatrist. No. Fall to our knees. Because it is written, Philippians 4, 6, Yes, be anxious for nothing, but 
but in everything, 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 by prayer and supplication. Not just prayer and supplication. Yes, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. A thankful heart unto the Lord. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. You see? We go to God. Oh, Lord, I'm so angry. Fall to our knees before the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm so I'm so full of anxiety. Lord, it's so incapacitating. And Lord, I have this anxiety. What do I do? We fall on our knees. We fall on our knees. Lord, I need help. The formula's got to be right. And that's the problem, you know. I mean, one of many problems of when, when people seek the face of the fake Jesus. The one that doesn't align with scripture. The one that says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be safe. The one that says, calls glitter, the Holy, the Holy Spirit glitter. The one that says, oh, you know, let's go grave soaking. The one that says, God is done with Israel replacement theology. Oh, but they got this coalition. Look, they got all these books, little children's books. They got the coalition. Sorry, that's the fake Jesus. And yes, there's a there's a little bit of power there. Satan has power. But he is not all powerful. You see? The one who is all powerful. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name. His only begotten son. And Jesus says, I and my Father are one. That's the one who we worship. The real Jesus. Whose word is above his name. That's why we studied the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, so that we can understand these things. Because I tell you the truth, we're living in the days of the imposter. The imposter Christ, the imposter pastor, the imposter prophet. Yes, they have solutions, and yes, they have power. But it is not power of the Almighty. It is not power of the Holy Spirit. Nor, it's, it's not power of the Almighty. You see? That power is evil of the, of the, of the fake. It is evil because Satan wants to drag you to hell. We have to understand the blueprints, understand the formula, and then also understanding and knowing that God so loves you. Remember, Jesus Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's boil this down. God did not send his son into the world to condemn you my beautiful friend but that you through his son might be saved you see you're a believer praise be to the lord abide in christ for all your days you're not a believer get in the ark his name is jesus christ you hit pause and then you listen to the message how to commit your life to christ 
You see, you might have walked away from Christ. Come back. You also hit pause and recommit your life to Christ. I can't tell you how many times I've had these conversations with brothers and sisters, young and old. This anxiety is like, oh my goodness, it's... I mean, to the point where it enters the physical realm, the, 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 the mental realm, that what's happening internally, all of a sudden it impacts it, like vomiting, like, oh, I'm so excited. And they, blah, they get the vomit right there. It's like, whoa, this is like, this is like, I didn't realize that it, it was like this. And to come alongside that person and say, listen, you know, there is power in Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But where do you go to church? Oh, I go over here. Who's your pastor? Oh, this is the pastor. That's that's not a pastor. I know he's got the pastor parking spot, but that ain't no pastor. Look at his doctrine. The grave soakers? The Holy Spirit is glitter? Worshiping glitter? Sorry. I love you, but that's the wrong formula. When the formula is right, look at all the things that are effectuated in the believer. Look at all the things that now become active inside the believer, such as healing. Healing from anxiety. Healing from depression. Healing from anger and rage. And I tell you these things from experience. I didn't get this from a book I read in New York Times bestseller, and the only book I read was the good book. The Word of God, and the Word became flesh. Yes, it is very true, be anxious for nothing, and how that translates into Greek is you know, to be distracted, incapacitated. What do I do? What do I do? I tell you what we do. We fall to our faces before the Lord. Always with thanksgiving with prayer and supplication, making our requests be made known to God. And it is also written in Philippians chapter 4. Then comes his peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. There's nothing like that peace. I used to drown my sorrows away in alcohol. And there was a, a semblance of peace. But it was poison. My mind was numbed and it created even a deeper pit or I created even a deeper pit for myself because of the source of my peace. But I have tasted of the Lord. I have tasted of the world. I have tasted of the alcohol and I've tasted of the Lord. And I know that God is good. And it is written for all. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There is healing in him. From depression, from anger, from rage, from anxiety. We go to the Lord. And that's what Paul does himself. Because remember, this is his prison. Remember how he, how he writes, how he prays for the saints? How he prays earnestly for the saints? Remember our, just last week, Colossians 1. And Paul's not trying to save face. Well, you know, I, I don't want the saints to know that I have anxiety, that I'm, you know, I have this conflict inside because, oh, they look up to me and, oh, look, I gotta be awesome and all these things. No, you see the beauty of humility. The beauty of humility 
Paul says in verse 1, Colossians 2, verse 1, he says, I want you to know, you guys. I want you to know what great conflict, what great struggle, what great anxiety. That's how it translates in the Greek. What great? So what is it? What is the source of this anxiety for Paul? You think, wow, the apostle Paul, he's such a titan. How could he have anxiety? And yes, absolutely. He is a titan in the faith. But I don't mean titan, like his exaltation. Remember, he's the one who says, it is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. But you see the that Christ in him. The glorification of Jesus Christ inside of him. The glory of the Lord inside of him, inside of this vessel. And it's not just reserved for Paul. It's not just reserved for Paul. We see it in Timothy. We see it in Chloe. We see it in the saints, remember Epaphroditus? And we see it today. We see it today among Christians. Not all Christians. Sometimes you can look at, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Come on, let's go do crack. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Come on, let's go to the strippers. Oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Look, I'm going to call these prostitutes. Oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Let's go worship Buddha. Let's go do the Ouija boards. Let's tell these lies so we can do better on our taxes. Let's do these lies so we can get cheap tickets to Disneyland. But I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. That's hypocrisy. I'm not talking about those guys. In those guys, you might see a very, very dim light or a flickering light. I'm talking about Christians were like, you got to have sunglasses on because that light is so strong. You see it, but you got to have eyes to see. And this struggle, this anxiety, this conflict that's warring inside of Paul. He's not trying to save face and be like, oh, look. I, I, I gotta, I gotta, I want them to think that I'm awesome, so I'm not gonna tell them that I have this anxiety. No, he has anxiety straight up. That he has, he says in verse one, what great conflict I have for you, the Colossian saints, and those in Laodicea. Whoa, Laodicea. Very interesting what we see here. Turn with me to Revelation 3. And in Revelation 3, Revelation 3. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation 3, verse 14, we see this. Verse 14, Revelation 3. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Laodiceans. Remember, geographically speaking, Laodicea is near Colossae. It's in the region of the Colossian saints. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Right now, people say like, oh, the Laodiceans. Oh, that was, you know, the scholars. I'm doing my air quotes. The biblical scholars with my air quotes. Oh, that was for the church back then. Oh, that was for the first century believer. But when you look at like verse 21, I'm not to get ahead of myself, but I meant, you know, when you look at verse 21, speaks about prevailing in Christ. Very forward looking. Very forward looking. So is it for the church then? Is it for the first century? Or is it for us today? It's for all. Remember, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Remember the Lord in Malachi? I'm the Lord. You know, thus saith the Lord, I never change. It's for all. So are we speaking about the Laodicea uh, uh, geographically? No. It's Laodicea 
internally. The Laodicean mindset. What is the Laodicean mindset? Well, we see, continue on in verse 14. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Remember, this is Revelation 3, straight up red letters. You know, the word became flesh. So all of the Bible is the word of God. All of the Bible is Jesus. But when we see the red letters, that's what we see here in verse 14. This is what he says. I know your works. Translates as efforts, labors, deeds, and acts, acts, acts. These are things that are known to Jesus. Straight up red letters. I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Verse 16. Now remember, God is reactionary. God is reactionary. I say this to my Calvinist and Reformed theory friends. I love you, but your doctrine is wrong. Uh, it's it's the Calvinists and Reformers that are saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Listen to our message. It's called, do not take the mark of the beast. Listen to our study. If you're Calvinist and Reformed, listen to our study through uh, uh, Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll learn more about predestination, biblical predestination. When you study the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yes, there are bad things in the Bible. Yes, there are ugly things in the Bible. I mean, look at the mark of the beast. You take the mark of the beast. Some people say, oh, you'll still be saved. No, the Bible says you take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in hell. Straight up hellfire brimstone. Straight up weeping and gnashing of teeth. Straight up lake of fire. Straight up eternal damnation from Jesus Christ, from God. But when you read the Bible and study the Bible, you see that God responds. God is reactionary. He responds to wickedness. He responds to righteousness. He responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. He also responds to repentance. Repentance. You see, it's so beautiful. What a loving God we serve. And so here in verse 15, it's revealed like, wait a second, okay? So you have these, remember, it's to the church. This isn't to non-believers. Verse 14 says, to the church. You say, oh, an angel of the church of the loud, not, not loud to say in the city. The church. This is for those inside. You see, Christians. Christians. He says in verse 15, I know your works that you were neither hot, that you were neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. Remember, God is reactionary. There's a reason why we emphasize this in our studies through the Old and New Testaments. There are, there's a reason why we emphasize how God is reactionary. Because when you come across a fork in the road, spiritually speaking, you're going to come across a fork in the road. Now, this happens multiple times, many times, thousands of times in a day, in one day. You know, many times in an hour, you come across a fork in the road. You look to the left, you look to the right, and the left is walking according to the flesh. On the right is walking according to the spirit. Remember our study through the book of Romans? We, we covered this. Listen to, if you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to our study through Romans. You'll understand. Now, when you walk with, according to the flesh and you take that left, that path of the left, it's not pretty. It's not going to be good. And remember, God responds to disobedience, you see? And so you walk to the left and 
Praise be to the Lord that he chastises those whom he loves because you're going to take a left turn walking according to the flesh and then you're going to feel the little tap, tap, little spankings from above. You're going to feel it. It's called the conviction of the spirit. You're going to feel the little tap, tap. And it's in those moments where we, 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 not you, we, we're in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. We repent. And then what happens? The Lord picks us up and puts us back on the right path. And we learn because remember, the Lord responds to disobedience. And then he also, re- so we turn left, walking according to the flesh, which is disobedient. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you're not going to take the first step and realize, okay, this is disobedient. Sometimes you're going to take 10 steps and realize, oh my goodness, I made a mistake. And then you repent. So number one, you're at the fork in the road. You turn left, take 10 steps, and you realize, oh my goodness, I'm disobedient. It was disobedient for me to turn left. You see? And God responds to disobedience. You see? And then, then comes the tap, tap. You see, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we fall to our knees, we repent, and then all of a sudden it's like an airlift. Airlift, you know, you know, from above, you know, we get picked up and then all of a sudden put back on the right path. See how he responds to, he responds to disobedience, tap, tap, we repent, and then he responds to repentance. And then all of a sudden airlifted back on the right path. You see, the Lord is reactionary. He responds to all these things and he's very but you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear and understand these things. Because Satan knows these, these things perfectly well. He knows these things. He just doesn't want you to know. Because if you knew, he knows that you might believe. And he does not want that to happen. You see? If you're not a believer and you didn't heed my prior call to repent and receive Jesus Christ, I want you to understand that this is what's happening right here, right now, inside of your heart. It's a war for your soul. A war for your soul. Satan wants it. God wants it. You see, I'm just a messenger. You choose. Whom will you serve? Whom will you serve? Oh, I serve Buddha. Okay. Serve Buddha. Behind Buddha, Satan. Oh, I serve Mary. Okay. Queen of heaven. Read the Bible about the queen of heaven. Not good. Satan. You see? Satan presents himself as an angel of light. When we understand spiritual warfare, Satan presents himself as an angel of light. Oh, you religious people, you're crazy. I don't want any of that. I'm an agnostic. Okay. Do what thou wilt. You see? Do what thou wilt. It's still godless. Satan still has you. I don't say these things to hurt you or be overly abrasive, but when you're confronted with truth, there is the abrasive aspect of truth because the Lord confronts the carnal man and the carnal woman. He confronts the flesh. If you're not a believer, I want you to understand these things. I want you to know these things, that there is a war for your soul. 
Satan is going to burn in hell. He knows it. Hell wasn't designed for people. Sometimes I have these conversations with the atheists and the agnostics and the Satanists, even the Luciferians, and just the run-of-the-mill non-believer. If God is so loving, why did he create hell for people? He didn't. It's for Satan and the demons. But they're going to drag you. know, If, you're, if you remain a non-believer, they're going to drag you with them. You see? Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, they're going to drag you with them. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a messenger. God loves you. God loves you. I love you too, but I mean, I want you to know that God loves you. And so I'll say it again. If you're listening and you're still not a believer, cut it out. There's no point. It's endless. I've walked on that path before. It's endless. Bottle after bottle after bottle after bottle after bottle. I've walked. Aimless wandering. You see? But it's Jesus Christ who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so you have a choice to make. Satan doesn't want you to know these things. But I'm telling you these things. And now, ball's in your court. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. He responds to, yes, wickedness. He responds to, yes, righteousness. And I might be wrong in saying this, but he responds all the more beautifully to repentance. That's what I want you to do. Repent and come to Christ. Believe in Jesus. So what happens here to these Laodiceans? The Laodicean mindset. They're neither cold nor hot. And, you know, we see in verse 16, now understanding that the Lord is reactionary. So then, because you are lukewarm, very interesting, kliarios in the Greek. So then, be, because as a result of your lukewarmness, remember, you know, the Lord doesn't make robots. There are certain people who say, oh, look, you know, uh, I am preordained to be the elect i am preordained to be you know i didn't save myself you know I, I didn't believe in jesus christ of my own accord it's the holy spirit who made me believe remember the lord doesn't impose himself on anybody people have a choice to make listen to our study theory. if you're calvinist or reformed theory listen to several studies Listen to one that's called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast and you'll hear, you know, a, a Calvinists say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. That it's okay. And Christians will still go to heaven. And then listen to Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Such people here in verse 16 in Revelation 3, they're not lukewarm because God preordained them to be lukewarm. Remember, he's long-suffering. If God preordained people to hell for his glory, in accordance to John Calvin, whose theology was out of whack, how could God be long-suffering? How could God be long-suffering if he predestined people for damnation, predestined to hell? 
How could he be long-suffering? Why would he be long-suffering? You figure if, if he, if, 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 if he predestined people to hell, why would he be long-suffering? There's more, but that's one of many. If you're Calvinist Reformed, I love you. You gotta listen to these studies. Remember that the Lord is reactionary. Verse 16, because you are lukewarm, klearios, which is to be tepid. It's lacking enthusiasm to be half-hearted. See, these are things that are very personal. You can't mandate this. Remember, it just so happens, it just so happens that we study this on Wednesday. Moses, he's saying these things to the next generation that's going to pass to the promised land in our study in Deuteronomy. Moses says what he says, and it's, you know, in his obedience to the Lord, he just lays it out. Now, the ball's in their courts. Ball's in your court, Israel. And we look across multiple generations, and then we get to Hannah and Eli. Now, with carnal eyes, you figure, okay, surely the Lord is going to speak to, to Eli. Surely the Lord speaks to him because, look, he's got the garb. He's a priest. He's a high priest. And he's got his sons. And surely the Lord is going to speak to them because, look, they got the, they, they're tasked with this responsibility. They're part of the priesthood. But then when you read and understand, there's something different about Hannah. Eli was going through the motions. And going through the motions and even in disobedience. I mean, picture Eli doing the very things of, you know, of, of, of what his tasks were as priest. And even his sons doing Doing it with their hands, doing it with their feet, and also, you know, doing some other things, some dirty business that his sons were involved with. And you see them with carnal eyes doing the duties of the priesthood. But yet, remember, there was no widespread revelation in those days. The Lord was silent in those days. The Lord was quiet in those days. Why? But but the, the, the priesthood, that the high priest was tasked with hearing from the Lord. And then telling the people, you know, thus saith the Lord. That was part of his job. Remember that we studied the blueprints of Leviticus? But then you see, like, wait a second. Why? Why was the Lord silent in those days? And then you see how the Lord blessed Hannah. And how the Lord was speaking to little Samuel. You see? So Moses says what he says in our study in Deuteronomy. Now, ball's in their court. You know, Moses on the giving end of, you know, the word. And the Israel on the receiving end of the word. Now, ball's in their court. And multiple generations pass. And in those generations, you see obedience and you see disobedience and you see people respond uh, uh, to the to the word of the lord in disobedience and you see how the lord chastises and then you see people respond in obedience and you see how the lord blesses and then you see how the how people respond in disobedience and the lord the people respond to the word in disobedience and then the lord responds to them you know chastisement and then from there from that group you see people 
still disobey. And you see the hardening of their heart and you see how the Lord responds. But then you see people who at first responded in disobedience. You see the tap, tap, and then they repent. And then you see the Lord, you know, airlift right back in, 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 in obedience. You see, because they learned through the tap, taps. That's how, that's, you see it. Genesis to Revelation, you see it. And we're studying it right now through the Laodiceans of these lukewarm people, of people who choose to be lukewarm. But remember, the ball is always in their court. The ball is always in our court. The ball is always in my court and your court. The ball is always, once the word goes forth, okay, ball's in our court. How are we going to respond? Obey or disobey? Be righteous or be wicked? Repent or don't repent? And the Lord responds to all. You see? The Lord responds to all. These people who are lukewarm, how is it that they're lukewarm? In verse 16, how is it that they, they, are, they are because you are lukewarm? How did that happen? To lack enthusiasm or to be half-hearted? Well, look inside the church. Look inside the church. Inside the church, you see people intently listening. And then you see people, they're on their phone, they're going to sleep, they're in la-la land, they're thinking about the games, they're thinking about whatever, barbecue, they're thinking about lunch, they're thinking about all kinds of different things. No enthusiasm. Half-hearted. Now, did the Lord ordain them to be that way? No, the Lord doesn't make robots. So how is it that people became that way? You see, they're not hot. To be hot in going to church, and I don't mean church like, you know, a church building. The formula's got to be right. And when I say the formula's got to be right, it's to be like, you know, you, you, you have a, a, a pastor. If you're going to a church where the pastor, the formula's not right, you got to jump ship because that's dangerous for you. Things that we're going to study in our, you know, it just so happens we're going to study today. <laughs> but if the formula is not right in the pastor, you got to jump ship. It's dangerous for you. The Bible outlines the what, uh, uh, what, what the qualifications are for a pastor and elder overseers. Always male. If you have a female pastor, you got to jump ship. It's not right. Always male. Coverings in the Bible, always male. You see? Uh, Esther had Mordecai, male covering. But to be hot in going to church, and I don't mean like going into a structure, you know, parking your car and you walk into a building, you walk into a structure. No, you are the building. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 3, you'll understand. You are the building. But you go inside sanctuary and the formula is right. You have a, 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 a man who, where the formula is right and he teaches, he instructs from the word of God. Pouring into the saints. And the formula is right inside of the sanctuary, inside of, you know, the outline of how church should go. Listen to our study, you know, you know, no, no, you know, 500 people speaking in tongues. No, that, that's unbiblical. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You'll understand from my charismatic friends and my Pentecostal friends. There's order in the church. So the formula is right, you know, 
in in the pastor the formula is right in what he's saying it is according to doctrine now in the church you're going to see a little bit of mess inside the people and that's maturity and immaturity you're going to see adults those who have moved on to maturity and you're also going to see babies but understand they're babies if people are young believers, baby believers, praise be to the Lord. They became a Christian maybe today, maybe last week, last month, maybe within the last two months they became Christians. They're learning. They're maturing. That's the formula. But the problem happens today when you have weak pastors who don't want to, they, they, they don't want to teach truth because they know that if they teach truth, then, you know, the, the people would, and I've talked to pastors. Oh, I don't want to, I, I skip over revelation. I skip over these, you know, these condemning passages because people would leave. And if they leave, then, you know, I'm not going to have as, as big a paycheck. Those are called hirelings. If your pastor's a hireling, jump ship. But when the formula's right in the church, and you're going to see babies, but they got to be babies. When you see adults who are babies, that's not good. And I speak in a spiritual sense. That's like the Corinthian sense, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 sense, where somebody's been a believer for three years, five years, 10 years, and they're still on milk. That's when you get into leaven material, which also has to be dealt with elders. Elders, you also have a job to do. You see, there's a biblical structure behind church. And when that formula is right, be white hot in that environment. Be white hot in that environment. You see? Be hot in that environment and be hot for that environment. I mean, in Corinth, look at the hotness of Chloe and the hotness of Paul. Look at how, how beautifully hot they are. White hot. I mean, Corinth was a mess, straight up mess. I mean, you remember our study through 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. It's like, whoa, this is heavy. Very painful to teach. Very, very painful to teach because it's very difficult subject matter. I mean, look at, there's a guy having sex with his dad's wife. That ain't hot. That's like, you know, I, I want to say cold, but, you know, if there's anything colder than cold, that's what that is. But he believes in Jesus Christ. Look, he's in the church. Okay. Even the demons believe, but do the demons obey Jesus Christ? No. Is he obeying Jesus Christ? No. You see? Oh, but God is love. God is love. Yes, God is love. Absolutely, God is love. But when the formula is right, we learn more about him. That he is righteous. You see? He is righteous. There is justice in him. Remember in our study in Deuteronomy, you know, don't, don't pervert justice. Remember, he's a just God. All these attributes of the Lord that we learn through his word. Oh, but he's loving. So what if this guy's having sex with his dad's wife? No, but look, God is love. God is love. Let's just, let's just, you know, love on him and let God take care of the rest. You know how God takes care of things? He takes care of things through his vessels. That he uses, such as hot Chloe and hot Paul. You see, white hot. You see, they were definitely not lukewarm. But the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife, 
not just lukewarm, I would say like super cold, colder than cold. And what does Paul say? Take him and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Whoa, but he's a believer. Okay, he's a believer. But is he obeying? No. And he was inside. That's why Paul says your rejoicing isn't good. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. So we see here in verse 16, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Whoa. That's heavy. That's heavy. Straight up, that is hardcore. The Lord, straight up red letters. He's saying, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's that's his response to lukewarmness. One of his responses. You know, earlier to being vomited out of the mouth, earlier than that is, you know, repent, 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 repent. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Notice, in the body, now out of the body. In the body, now expelled out. This is how names are blotted out of the book of life. Remember, names can go in the book of life. Names can come out of the book of life. How do they come out of the book of life? Well, lukewarm, that's one way. Lukewarm. But understand, to be lukewarm, that's a process. I mean, when you have boiling water, boiling water... And it's, you know, freshly boiling. It's on the, it's on the hot plate. And it's like, it's boiling, actively bo- boiling. It's like, whoa, that's hot. Absolutely, it's hot. But there's, you know, the flame. You turn off the flame. And yes, that pot, that water that's boiling in that pot, it might actively boil for a couple seconds. But in the course of time, it's cooling down. It's cooling down. You see? And, you know, you go further down that course of time, it's going to be cold. And right smack dab in the middle of hot and cold is where we find lukewarm. So what happens? You're making spaghetti? What happens when you you have lukewarm water? You're not making, that's crunchy spaghetti. You're not having spaghetti. So what do you do? I mean, you either, you know, turn the flame back on or you, you know, you dump, maybe it's been, how long has it been sitting? Has it been sitting for a couple days, couple weeks, couple months, couple years? How long has it been sitting? Well, you dump it out. If it's been sitting for a couple years, you dump it out. Wash the pot, make sure you get all the bacteria. And then boil it. That's what? Straight up. Same thing when it comes to our hearts. We want to be hot like Chloe. We want to be hot like Paul. That's like the, the, the optimum. And the Lord responds to the lukewarm because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold or because neither cold nor hot. I will vomit you out of my mouth. And this is precisely how names are blotted out from the book of life. So this begs another question. Why does this happen? Why is it that such people are expelled? Such souls are expelled. Verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. You see? 
No need. I have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Whoa. You know, these are sad verses. But what's very sad for me, from my perspective, in verse 17, what's very sad for me is you have Christians. Remember, it's written to the church. Verse 14, to the angel of the church. Church, church, church. These are for Christians. And you look at verse 17, and the saddest part for me is that you have people inside the church who do not know. But they're Christians. Surely they should know. Yeah. You would think. But remember, what happens when a person does not know? How is it that the boiling water turns, it's boiling, actively boiling, and then all of a sudden it's like cold. You can like, you know, put your finger in it and it's super cold. How does that happen? You turn off the flame. No flame. No flame. No light. No oil. See? Oil is required for the flame to stay lit. No oil. What's one of the signs of the last days? Wise virgins. Foolish virgins. And the foolish virgins run out of oil. It goes dark. Their lamps go dark. No light for the darkness. You see? This is sad. Verse 17, it breaks my heart that you have people inside the church, Laodiceans, a condition of the church, of the Laodicean mindset, who do not know that you are wretched. Very interesting that we see here in verse 17, wretchedness. This wretched it's a process, this word for wretchedness, to be wretched. It's a process. And it the process is to become miserable in and through trial. In trial, in tribulation, in hardship, to become miserable. That's how that translates. Turn with me really quick to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. We know that the Lord uses trial. We know that the Lord uses tribulation. We know that he uses hardship. In Psalm 105, we have another history lesson. It just so happens on Wednesday that we looked at a history lesson. Referencing Jacob and Joseph and Egypt. And we do so again. Psalm 105, verse 16. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. This is in the days of, you know, uh, Joseph. Then famine of the land came upon Egypt. Moreover, in verse 16, he called for a famine in the land. Notice that it's from the Lord, this famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. Very interesting. Also from the Lord. Remember the model that we see in Egypt, how trial before rescue, trial before rescue, trial before rescue. And I say this to emphasize, yes, 
trial before rescue. But I say this to my brothers and sisters of the pre-tribulation rapture theory. It is only a theory. I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. Why? Because it is not found in the Bible. I love you. I know that's abrasive. And I've been called a servant of hell. I've been called satanic for not teaching a pre-tribulation rapture. But you will not find it in the Bible. You'll find it in pastors. You'll find it in seminary. You'll find it in university. But I'm talking about the straight up Bible. You will not find it in the Bible. Listen to, there's two studies I would, if you're pre-tribulation rapture, there's two studies I would like you to listen to. One of them is uh, Jacob's Trouble, biblically explained. And then the next one is called When is the Rapture? You listen to those two studies with your Bible open and study along. Trial before rescue. You know, you might have heard us mention prophecy updates. That, you know, a prophecy update is coming down the pike. And yes, it's coming down the pike. But it's going to be in drip format. Such as now, you know, we mentioned little things about prophecy. We mentioned little things here about prophecy. They're going to be wrapped into our studies. The reason why is because if there is one study that was just a prophecy update, it will, it will, it will scare you. It will terrify you. It will just, it will blow you away to the point of incapacitation. And I don't want that. I do not want that. So we're, it's going to be a drip, drip format. Uh, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, and we put it together. Or you put it together. And I'll make mention of this too. We'll put it together together. But if it was just like one lump sum, you know, this is the prophecy update and we're going to study these things for hours and, you know, you listen to it, I don't, everybody will have a heart attack because it's scary stuff. Notice that in this Try in verse 16 in Psalm 105. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. Very interesting what we see here. Included in this trial, before God makes himself known in Egypt, there is no provision of bread. But the same thing will happen before Apocalypsis. The same thing will happen in the church. Remember, it is prophesied that judgment comes first in the house of God. Oh, but surely this church is safe, sir. Look, it says Christianity on the door. Look, it says truth on the door. Look, it has a picture of the Bible. Look, it says church here on the door. And look, it's they got a big sign. And look at all the people. And wow, surely, surely this is good to go. And just as Amos prophesied, a famine of the word of God. A famine of the word of God. It's one of the signs of the last days. I mean, where can you go to church? Straight up, let's be honest. Where can you go to church? I mean, like, you know, I teach from America. And in America, if you're listening and you're not in America, you know, we have churches on every street corner. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe that's a little exaggeration, but I meant like if you were to drive through town, you'd be like, whoa, there's like a cross over here, a church over here. There's another cross over here. You'd be like, whoa, you guys have churches everywhere. 
And you figure, you know, driving through a town, you figure like, wow, there's churches everywhere. And then you look at the town, you're like, wow, why, why, why do I see a cross over here? And then I see like all these prostitutes. Why do I see it? And I, I, I drive over here, look at all these churches. And you also see like, wow, there's all these, you know, the, the prostitutes, got the strip clubs, got the, you know, the, 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 the bars and got all this and that. Because when real revival comes, all those places shut down. Because there's no market. No more demand. So supply shuts down. That's real revival. That's what happened in the book of Acts. You have these, the makers of idols of Diana. Remember, great is Diana of Ephesus. And they came against the Christians because the Christian, because of the revival that was happening there, it was putting the business guys out of business. The ones who would make the idols. So they hated the Christians. Remember the home invasion that we studied in Book of Acts? They hated the Christians because they were destroying the market. But you look at the church today and you're like, wait a second. There's like, you know, sometimes the church is the market. You see, look at the pornography inside the church. Look at the alcohol inside the church. Look at the, the drugs inside the church. Pastors who are drug pushers. The dealers. You see? That's, let's just be straight up. Let's be honest here. Let's just call it like we see it. There's a famine of the word of God, which is why you hear us say, learn to make bread and store your oil. Something interesting is happening in the persecuted church. You know, I teach from America, but the things that we follow and the things that we hear that's happening in persecuted, uh, the persecuted saints in North Korea, certain areas of China, certain regions of Russia, Arab countries, is that they went to an online model and even the dark web to have their Bible studies and, you know, because everything was shut down because of the coronavirus. And so what happened is that they started to do their messages online, but then now you're having pastors, they're, you know, nothing online anymore. Nothing, it's analog. That's, that's the model they're doing because they're being found. So they went to, like, they started doing their, the, 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 their, their services online and even in the dark web. And then all of a sudden they get captured by the authorities. The listeners get captured by the authorities. The pastors get beaten and captured by the authorities. And so now you're having pastors that, like, look, it's just, it's face to face only. Face to face only. And I teach from America. We're not at that point yet. But we'll get there. Face to face only. We're not there yet. But we're going to get there. Pastors, be wise. Feed. I, you know, I say your flock. But it's not your flock. Feed God's sheep. Feed God's lambs. Care for them, feed them, pour into them, protect them, kill the wolves, metaphysically speaking. Die for them. Pastors, workers, die for them. The famine of the word of God. Where can we go to church? Where? Where do you go to church? Yet the female pastors over here, you got the transgender pastors over here, 
You got the money preachers over here. You got the take the mark of the beast over here. You have the glitter over here. You got the grave soakers. You got the coalition, you know, replacement theology. And that's just from a doctrinal perspective. You know, we haven't even mentioned New Apostolic Reformation, Kingdom Now theology, Dominion theology. We haven't even discussed these things. I mean, from time to time, we'll make mention of it. Where do we go to? Where, where, can, where can a soul go to church? Where the formula is right. Where can a soul go to church? You see? And that's just from a doctrinal perspective. What about, you know, oh, we found a place. We go to, okay, but pastor's a pervert. He's having sex with the kids. He's molesting the kids. Having sex with the women. Doing drugs. So from a doctrinal perspective, it's like, where do we go? But then it's like, well, okay, look, they, they, you know, the, the, this doctrine is right and we'll go here. Okay, but now look at the fruit. Pastor's a pervert. Pastor's a, you know, crackhead. They're going to the strippers, the gambling, going to the casinos. Oh, but look, on the outside, it has a picture of the, the Bible there. It says Christianity. It says truth. Surely this is good to go. But it's not a famine of the word of God. A famine of the word of God. We see it even today. A famine of the word of God. One of the signs of the last days. Listen, this is, we're looking at Psalm 105. Joseph in, in Egypt. And remember, the Lord made himself known to the Egyptians, but precursory to that happening, there were some other things that happened. And so in verse 16, moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provisions of bread. Verse 17, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Wow, remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study through Genesis, and that was heavy stuff. Very, very heavy, very depressing very anxiety-imposing things that beautiful Joseph went through. Think of his own emotions. The sadness, the sorrow of his heart because of his family sold into slavery. How he was treated and you figure, wow, you know, things have got good for a moment in Egypt, but then boom, in prison. False accusation. And he wasn't believed. And he's in prison. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, verse 18, they hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons, you see? In verse 19, I don't want to lord over anybody, but if you have a highlighter, highlight verse 19. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Whoa. I do not want to lord, as surely as the Lord lives, I do not want to impose or lord, lord over anybody's walk with the Lord. But, if you have a highlighter, highlight verse 19. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him, testing on Joseph. Whoa. Think of his anxiety. Think of his depression. Think of his anger. Think of his sorrow. Think of his heart. Think of his emotions. Now, we don't follow emotions. 
But sometimes emotions are the very thing that brings us to our knees. Emotions are the very things that keep our hearts nice and soft because we have ears to hear and eyes to see. Yes, even in depression. Yes, even in anxiety. Yes, even in anger, in joy, in happiness, in all all the range of emotions. It's part of the human experience. And in those things, we can see clearly to understand our need for the Lord and our need of the Lord. And walking with him. Oh, Lord, my heart is in pain, Lord. You see, going to the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm so full of joy. Oh, man, Lord, I am angry. You know, no no disrespect, but it's like, Lord, you know, like, wow, I am really angry. Remember, you know, in the Psalms, how David says, you know, I'm so angry. I want to take their babies and smash them into rocks. (laughs) That's angry. Whoa. But praise be to the Lord that he goes to the Lord. You see, have you been so angry that you want to take someone's baby and smash them into a rock? That's angry. That's like, you know, when anger goes to rage. And even in that state, David goes to to the Lord, even in his anger. You see? In all these range of emotions that we have, we go to the Lord. Anxiety, go to the Lord. Remember, the formula's got to be right. If you go to the fake Jesus... You're going to be, you know, on anxiety. You're going to be anxious. You're going to, you're not going to have, there's no power in the other Christs. You're going to be on anxiety pill after pill after pill after pill after pill. And this isn't to come down. If you're on anxiety meds or, you know, depression, antidepressants and all these things, understand that the, the inhibitors that are in those, you know, it, I, I get it. I get it. I understand it. These inhibitors do this, these inhibitors do that, and you know, they make you senseless to this, so now you can cope. But what about when you have those feelings and sensations that are incapacitating? And we go to the Lord. And the real Jesus, he makes the blind see again. He makes the dead walk again. He makes the sick. He heals them again. And there's no expiration date on how he works. There's no expiration date on how he moves. None. The scholars, I'm doing my air quotes, the scholars will say such things. But that's nice. I don't care. Those are the, who are they? Do the, the scholars make the waves crash? Do the scholars make the gazelle leap through the meadow? Do the scholars make mountains melt like wax? Do the scholars feed the sparrows? Did they create the heavens? The earth? Who are they? Oh, but they got their degree and look, surely they know these things. Even still, who in the world are they? I don't care who they are. I'm talking about Jesus, son of the most high. I'm talking about him whose word is above his name. He will heal you. But the formula's got to be right. Remember, he's reactionary. 
He responds to obedience. You know, he's the one who says, you know, seek and you will find. He doesn't say, seek and I'm going to play a game on you and you'll never find. No. He says, seek and you will find. Christians say, oh, I've been seeking my whole life and how come I don't have this? Well, what are you abiding in? Oh, I go to this church over here where, you know, we go grave soaking. Sorry, that's the wrong Christ. You're gonna, you're not just seeking. You, you think you're seeking and, you know, you have no victory, but you think you're sinking. But you stay on that ship and, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, that's not good. Oh, but I, I, I seek and I seek and I think I found, but, oh, look, I'm, because I go to this church, I'm predestined for heaven. So therefore, I can do this a little. I can dabble in this. I can dabble in that. I can say my lies and everything. You know, God is fine with that. I can say my lies and God is all good with that. Because look, once saved, always saved. I'm of the elect. And look, my pastor says I can take the mark of the beast, still be saved. And look, I'm good to go. You stay on that ship, my friend. That's the ship that's going to burn in hell, straight up. And I say unto you, jump ship. Come out of her, my people. You see? What great trial that Joseph endured. And he passed with flying colors, no pun intended. Perhaps pun intended. You be the judge. Joseph passed with flying colors, obedient unto the Lord. Even in his state of sorrow, how he was treated with the, by his brothers, how he was treated in prison, and in just in being in prison. All these hardships that he endured, and he endured while still honoring the Lord. In his anxiety, in his anger, in his sorrow, his depression, and going to the Lord. Now, I don't want to sound blasphemous in saying this. This little disclaimer, I'm going to say some things and I don't want to sound blasphemous. It is borderline blasphemous. But what if? What if? What if Joseph? This isn't in the Bible, but what if? What if Joseph says, you know what, guys? He's talking to his brothers. You know what, guys? I know you want to, you know, sell me to these people. But you know what? I, 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 won't, I won't ride you anymore. I won't give you a hard time anymore. You know, you want to go, go do these things and live in, in a manner that's not pleasing to our dad. And, you know, go ahead. You know, I'm on board. You know, I'm with you guys. So you want to live like that? I'll go ahead and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and lie to dad. I'll go ahead and lie to dad. Look, I want to be your friend. We're brothers. I'm going to go ahead and lie to dad. I won't tell Jacob about these things. You see? Even when he's in prison. Oh man, I hate this. Imagine, imagine Joseph saying, I hate this so much. I can't stand this. Man, I believed in God and now I'm in prison. My brothers sold me. You know what? I am done with God. I am all done with him because I believed in him and he got me nothing. Look, my brothers who are supposed to love me, they sold me. And now here I am. 
I'm in prison and it's terrible. I hate it. And I'm in here and, you know, it's, I'm innocent. You know, it's false accusations. I hate this so much. I am done with God. You see? If God is a God of love, then why am I in these chains? If God loves me, then why did my brothers sell me? I don't want to sound blasphemous in saying that, but it's borderline blasphemous. But what if? What if? And that mindset of the what if, that is wretchedness. It's to be in trial, to be in tribulation, to be in a time of testing, a period of testing, and in that time framing, in in that time frame, to become miserable instead of refined. That's wretchedness. In trial, in tribulation, in testing, to become miserable instead of refined. That's why we say to highlight verse 19. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. That's Joseph. That's how one becomes wretched. It's a process. Wretchedness is a process. And in that process, becoming miserable. You see? It's not having the creature comforts according to the flesh. But to have the comfort of the Lord, the peace of the Lord, which surpasses all understanding, yes, in anxiety, yes, in depression. But remember, we go to the Lord. And when the formula is right and the Lord responds to obedience, the Lord responds to repentance, then comes, look at all the things that are effectuated, then comes a peace that surpasses all understanding. Being refined through trial. Now, trials might last an hour. A trial might last a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade, multiple decades. Trials can last a long time. The Lord knows what he's doing. He is faithful, always faithful. But the question is, who among his people will remain faithful unto him? You see? That's the remnant. That's the remnant. It's so powerful when we have the full counsel of the word of God. So in the earlier question that was posed, where do we go to church? Where is it this doctrine is crazy town over here? Crazy over here? Mess over here? Pastors are crackhead? Pastors are, you know, going to the strip clubs? Pastors are gambler? Where do we go? There's also a Biblical response, a biblical behavior, biblical attributes for the remnant. 
fidelity unto the Lord. You see, faithfulness unto him. Not today, not tomorrow, not for a year, and then that's it. Okay, Lord, I'll be hardcore for a year, and then I'm done. No, for the rest of our lives, until our last dying breath, hardcore. Straight up hardcore, there's no other way to live. Not cold, not lukewarm, straight up white hot. To be like white hot Chloe, to be like white hot Paul, to be like white hot, white hot Titus, Timothy, white hot Timothy, Epaphroditus, Rahab, who was a prostitute. Don't forget, Rahab was a prostitute. But when she had a, a choice to make for the Lord, boom, done. I'm not a prostitute anymore. You see? This is so powerful. You could be a raging alcoholic. You come to Christ, boom, okay, I'm done with alcohol. Remember, there's healing in the real Jesus. That's what happens. That's how, that's how a Christian, remember Revelation, let's go back to Revelation 3 now. Revelation 3. And in Revelation 3, remember, to the church, not non-believers. These are believers. Loud descends. These are believers, but they're not abiders. These are believers, but they're not obeyers. These are believers, and this call of God, straight up red letters, is to change your ways. Change your ways. In verse 17, Revelation verse th- chapter, Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched. Remember, the Lord uses trials. He uses hardship. He uses tribulation for us, for you and me to be refined. Like we looked at it in, in, in Psalm 105 with the case of Joseph, how Joseph was refined in the fire. You see? Now, Joseph's scenario was, you know, pretty hardcore. <laughs> pretty hardcore, very hardcore. But the Lord knows what he's dealing with. He is the potter. We are the clay. Don't be wretched. You and me, let us not be a wretched people where in trial and in tribulation, we become miserable. No, in trial and tribulation, we become refined. That is the way. That is the remnant. That is to be white hot and not have this said of us for the Laodicean mindset. Here you have Christians who do not know, as is said in verse 17. Remember, this is the church. Christians, believers but not abiders. Believers but not obeyers. Believers who do not know where in the world are the pastors. Where? Why is it that you have a church, Christians, that do not know? And as a result of not knowing, they are wretched, miserable, which is to be pitiable and pathetic, worthy of lament, poor, blind, and naked. Look at this nakedness. It's nude to be fully exposed. What does that tell us? There's no covering. 
No covering. If you have no covering, you're in trouble. If you're listening and you still, if you're listening and you're not a believer and you still haven't heeded my urging, I beg of you, repent and come to Christ. I have absolute zero motive other than that of my Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. And his only begotten Son, I'm under orders. I have no motive in urging you to come to Christ. I don't want your money. But I do desire to present you a chaste virgin to Christ. There's a huge danger behind not maturing in Christ. Remember, babies are beautiful. But you know, the carnal realm, the fleshly realm, the worldly realm even testifies of this very fact. You take a fresh baby, you know, a freshly born baby girl. And you put her in the Saharan desert, you put her in the jungle, you put her in wherever, you know, baby girl is going to be dead baby girl and, you know, eaten baby girl pretty soon. It's very, it's very beautiful and precious to be a baby, but it's very dangerous, you know, for growth and maturity to not happen. And that was the problem in Corinth. You see? And so what happens when babies stay babies? Separation must happen. That is separation from the leaven and separation of the remnant. See? In one sense, it's painful to even say that. Painful to even do it. Painful for a pastor to to say, listen, we have this fellowship of, you know, a hundred people. And then to... Talk with each individual person, urge each individual person to come to Christ and, you know, abide in Christ and, you know, give these warnings. Yes, warnings. We're going to study this when we get into the pastoral epistles. Yes, warning number one, warning number two. And then all of a sudden to tell a person, listen, this fellowship is not for you. Because you're doing your crack and, you know, that's fine. I love you. Don't do the crack anymore. You know, and you know, there's going to be accountability. Don't do the crack anymore. You see crack and crack and crack. Okay, listen, this fellowship, it's not for you. It's not for you. You want to do your sex? Okay, it's not for you. You see, overseers, okay. You you want to do this, your, your drugs, your alcohol, your sex? Sorry, this isn't for you. Oh, but I'm an elder. No, that's nice. Pastors, elders, keep the house of God clean. There's beauty behind the separation. As painful as it is, there's beauty behind it. Because the remnant, it's training ground for the remnant. It's safe for the remnant to exercise these very things, to roll around on the mat and learn how to fight and to be equipped. It's safe for them, you know, to bear one another's burdens. It's safe for them. You're not having, you know, the 
the crackhead who's been a crackhead for 10 years while in the church. And all of a sudden for a a 15 year old guy, a 15 year old boy to say, okay, I'm going to bear your burdens. And then all of a sudden the 15 year old boy becomes a crackhead too. You see? Where if a pastor or elder says, okay, you're, you're on crack. Okay. Here's warning, warning. And you don't encouragement too, you know, like, and, and accountability too. But when that is not uh, dealt with, if the, you know, the, the, the crack is, you know, still, you know, being used and being done and however form it's, you know, taken. If that hasn't been addressed in terms of the separation from the leaven, okay, you're leaven, okay, I'm sorry, you are now outside the camp. Now it's dangerous for a 15-year-old boy to bear those burdens. It's dangerous for him to do that. Because instead of, you know, the 15-year-old boy being sharpened as iron sharpens iron, all of a sudden the 15-year-old boy is now trapped into crack. People say, oh, iron sharpens iron, iron sharpens iron. You look at the fruit, you're like, I'm sorry, you're not iron. You see, you look at the fruit. Oh, but iron sharpens iron. Look, let's go grave soaking. I'm sorry, that's not iron. That's not, not even, that's like, you know, rubber, you know, styrofoam. Styrofoam doesn't sharpen iron. No, it's iron that sharpens iron. Christians always say, oh, our iron, it is written, iron sharpens iron. Come on, let's go to the strip club. You, you ain't sharpen nothing. You see, it is iron that sharpens iron. And it needs to be safe for the body of Christ. Now, someone is, you know, outside the camp, leaven outside the camp. Now something else happens to them. You pray for them. Pastors, elders, you pray for them. And in the course of time, they might come back and we get into like, you know, 2 Corinthians where Paul says, okay, bring them back in. Welcome back. When they repented, welcome them back in. Now, it's possible that somebody can be outside the camp and then all of a sudden just leave Christ. That's between them and the Lord. I don't like it. I hate that. It breaks my heart. But biblically speaking, that's what happens. People are outside the camp and then all of a sudden they leave the Lord. Or people are outside the camp and they can see the error of their ways and then all of a sudden say, you know, Lord, forgive me. And then they're welcome back inside the camp. The leaven has been dealt with. The same way we see uh, 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 leprosy in the Old Testament. Outside the camp, a state of uncleanness and then brought back in the camp. When that uncleanness is gone, they are clean again. That's the formula. The problem today is that you have hirelings in the pulpits and even wolves in the pulpits pulpits, and little boys in the pulpits. They like the title of pastor, but they don't like the job of pastor. They like the accolades. They like social media. Oh, look, I got all these friends and look, I got all these likes and look, I'm popular. I'm popular. It's not a popularity contest. All the men of God And all the women of God in the Bible, they weren't popular. They were killed. They were hated. Prophets, dead. Why? Because they spoke of the things of the Lord. Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, killed. 
Oh, but he had a tremendous following. Yeah, when he was feeding. Remember our study in our reference to John 6 and you count the population? John 6, you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And in John 6, you see the, the great subtraction, which breaks my heart. Because in John 6, you see thousands of people. And then all of a sudden, the thousands of people, are he feeds them. And then all of a sudden, they follow him. And he turns around and says, you're not following me because of what I say. You're following me because, you know, you want the, you want the goodies. You like your bellies nice and full. And people are offended, so they left him. And thousands and thousands and thousands became smaller thousands, which became hundreds. And now, you know, you look at the, the followers now, even among his disciples, hundreds. He would ask of his disciples, does this offend you? And people followed him no more. And then all of a sudden, it became 12. From thousands and thousands and thousands to 12 in one chapter. Wow. You see? And don't forget, the 12 became 11. Remember Judas left? Judas went left to, be, to betray Jesus. The 12 became 11. And then the 11 became zero. All alone. A sheep led to the slaughter. That's the formula. And praise be to the Lord because even in that, God was at work. God was at work. The redemption of souls. To tell us that it is finished. It is finished. And then all of a sudden the zero, it just blew up like crazy. You see? The baptism of the Holy Spirit in the church. Listen to our studies in the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts. So in, in John 6, you see thousands become hundreds, become 12. And then, you know, in the entirety of the gospel becomes zero. And then you go to the book of Acts and then all of a sudden, it, you know, it blows up. And thousands were coming to Christ in one day. Beautiful. But in the last days, things are going to be different. It's called apostasy. Signs of the last days. You read the book of Acts, you're like, wow, this is beautiful. We read the epistles, you're like, wow, this is beautiful. Look at what happened to Corinth in just three short years. Three short years, look at what happened to Corinth. For Paul to say, take this guy and commit him, commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Commit a Christian to Satan? That's hardcore. In just three short years, look at what happened in Corinth. Now, from that moment, we're 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years. Think about all the room for error there is. Now we understand why Brother Peter, the Lord told the Holy Spirit, that the Lord through the Holy Spirit told Peter that judgment comes first to the house of God because the church, judgment comes first to the church because the church has to be a straight up mess. How does that happen? The loud to say in mindset. 
instead of becoming refined, becoming miserable and growing wretched and in that state being naked, having no covering. You see? Straight up red letters, verse 18. Red letters. This is the remedy. I counsel you. Remember, he is the wonderful counselor after all. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Remember, in tribulation, in trial, in hardship, you, you, we, you and me, we have a choice. We can become refined or we can become miserable. Miserable, not good. Don't do that. That's the way of the lukewarm. That's how names get blotted out of the book of life. The loud descends, they did not know. You, officially, as of today, right here, right now, you know. And the Lord says, I counsel you to buy for me gold, verse 18, refined in the fire, refined in the fire, not made miserable in the fire, refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. Remember, no longer naked. Such a soul now has a covering that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve. This is ointment for the eyes. So a person, it says that you may see, you see, so that such a soul can see with eyes to see and ears to hear. I wonder what lukewarm Corinthians would say. The guy is having sex with his dad's wife from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Oh, don't listen to Paul. Paul is so mean. Look, God is love. And so I look, I'm just showing my love like this. And it just happens to translate in the physical realm in this. And look, God is love. Don't forget it takes two to tango. There was the guy who was having sex with his dad's wife. And don't forget the wife too. It takes two to tango. I wonder what they, oh, Paul is so mean. How did Paul find out? He's over here on the other side of town. How did Paul find out? Oh, I bet you it was Chloe. Oh, that Chloe, she always just, you know, gives me a hard time about this. I bet you, I'm going to go give Chloe a visit. How dare you, Chloe? Look, Chloe, you're a, such a gossiper. Look, the Bible says, look, you're meddling. You're meddling in my life, Chloe. Praise be to the Lord for Chloe. That ain't gossiping. The pastors were defunct. She couldn't go to the, the male pastor to deal with this problem because they themselves have been corrupted, became the loud to say in mindset. So she, what does she do? She goes to the male covering. She goes above them, the male covering. Paul, Paul, we got a problem over here. I love that. You know, Paul is white hot. Chloe is white hot. And Paul, you know, no reason to doubt Chloe. He is like, okay, Chloe, let me make sure that you're telling, you know, do you have another witness? Do you have those witnesses? Those in, the, in, in Chloe's household, little, you know, Bible study, probably full of women. Most likely full of women. I mean, when you look at, you know, I very rarely do I like to bring in culture and everything. I very rarely do I like to do that. But when you look at cultural, cultural norms and even church norms at this particular period of time, and I, I'm t- I say that, you know, a little loosely, but, you know, coverings are always male. Coverings are always male. But in the absence of the male, then you see, okay, now you see this woman who is like, you know, hardcore, you know. 
Still not like a covering, like in a pastor or elder sense, but just like, okay, this lady, she's hardcore. She's no joke. She's, she's, you know, she's straight up warrior. I'm so in love with Chloe. I can't wait to meet her. Because think of all that you, you, you walk into Corinth and you're like, wow, you know, I want to be with warriors. And you look at the man and you're like, what in the world? Who is this freak? Who is this guy? Who's this? That's a, Glitter Holy Spirit, you know, sex with his dad's wife, alcoholic. Who are these people? Look, they think they're warriors. They think they're tough, but this ain't. The formula's not right. And you, you meet Chloe, you get to Chloe's house, you're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> this lady's tough. This lady is straight up no joke. That's just me. I like warriors. I don't like, you know, I don't like the freak shows. I like the warriors. That's just me. And so the Lord says here, you know, picture what the, what the Corinthians would say. Oh, Paul, you're so mean. Look, you're causing division, Paul. It's like division? I mean, it is division, but it's a good division. It's separation from the remnant, uh, the remnant from the leaven. You take the leaven and okay, no more. Not even to eat with such a person. Now you take the remnant and the remnant was not without chastisement. Remember Paul said, do I, do I praise you in this? Nope. Do I praise you in that? Nope. Little tap, tap. This isn't good. I mean, you get into 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Those are tough. You know, sex. We start talking about sex, studying sex and marriage, getting things back in order. The Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, order in the fellowships. And all of a sudden, things are brought back into, I say norm, but things are brought back in alignment with what the blueprints say for the church. You know, Corinth was out of whack. Through the flesh. And the defunct pastors. Just like Laodiceans, they did not know. Remember verse 17? Do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What happened in this in, in Corinth? They did not know. What happened? Separation. You take the remnant. Now let's work on the remnant. We gotta get things back in order. Do I praise you in this? Nope. Do I praise you in that? Nope. This is how sex is. This is how marriage is. And you know, Paul made his recommendation. I recommend that you don't get married so that you can serve the Lord. But if you have problem with sexual sin, okay, go ahead, get married. But then of, you know, even in that mature level of understanding for husbands and wives to live as though you had no husband or wife. Whoa, that's hardcore. Why? So that, you know, oh, I'm married. So that, I mean, I can pretend I'm not married so I can go to the bars. No. So that we can serve the Lord. Listen to our study, First Corinthians, and get yourself caught up. This is the condition of the Laodicean, the Laodicean mindset. Verse 19, straight up red letters. As many as I love. I love. You figure like, whoa, these are, these are hard subject matter. But as many as I love. I love. I rebuke and chasten to convict and discipline. Now, we're living where we have this large concentration of the millennial generation and the Gen Zs. Millennials and the Gen Zs. A group of people, a generation that has never felt the rod of correction. Literally, never felt the rod of correction. I mean, I talk with millennials all the time. I talk with Gen Z all the time. Never been spanked as a kid. Never been spanked. Then you see the fruit of it. 
I mean, have you ever talked to Gen Z? Have you ever talked to millennial? I mean, they go crazy. Like if they're in a job and then all of a sudden the boss says, hey, I don't like how you do this. And so you got to do it like this. And if you don't, you're going to get fired. They go crazy. <gasps> oh, I'm so offended. How dare you say that? To me? Oh, you're a misogynist. How dare you say that? Snowflake generation. And when they become the influencers, their snowflake mindset, it spreads. Now you have old people that are, you know, snowflakes. But red letters, straight up red letters. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. I rebuke and chasten. You see? Remember, Psalm 23, verse 4. It is thy rod and thy staff, the two together. They comfort me. The staff for walking and the rod for correcting. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And red letters here in Revelation 3, verse 19. As a man as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. This for zealous is to covet earnestly. To covet earnestly. I thought coveting was a bad thing. But to be, ze- to be zealous is to covet his word. The word of God, which became flesh. Jesus Christ being not prominent. Jesus Christ as preeminent in our hearts, in our bodies, in these temples. The glory of the Lord. You see? And what does he say? Repent, 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 repent. Oh, but once saved, I was saved. You know, the guy did the altar call when he was 10 years old. Remember verse 14? It's the church. These are Christians. In verse 17, who do not know. You see? And in that state of not knowing, that's very dangerous for a Christian to not know. And so the Lord says, repent. In verse 19. In verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, very beautiful passage that is oftentimes referenced or used for evangelism. And, you know, that's okay. But what's very interesting here, I want to say interesting. It's sad. That Jesus is there knocking. Very beautiful. But... Why is he on the outside? Remember verse 14. This is allowed to say in church, Christians who do not know. Says a lot about the pastors. Pastors asleep. Maybe the pastors are wolves. Maybe the pastors are hirelings. Either way, they're defunct. You figure, wait a second, I thought Jesus was a gimme in the church. I thought, you know, here the church is and, you know, that Jesus is an automatic. Jesus is a gimme. No. Biblically speaking, no. Oh, but look, there's this church here. Look, it's got the cross. It's got the sign on the door. It says truth. It's got a picture of the Bible. Surely Jesus is there. No. Could be. But he could not be. How is he not? 
doctrine. Lukewarm. People who don't know. You see? In the case of Laodicea, he's on the outside. He should be on the inside, but he's on the outside. The formula is wrong inside Laodicea. And Jesus on the outside. Why in the world is he on the outside? You see? He says in verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Intimacy restored. Maybe intimacy for the first time. Notice in verse 20, well, in verse 14, the church, 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 a group of people, a congregation of people. Say, just for example, a hundred people. And a hundred people inside. Jesus is not inside. And a hundred people How many people can hear the knock? All of them? No. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to the church. Nope, that's not what he says. A hundred people in the church. Jesus is not there. He's on the outside. A hundred people in the church. Who has ears to hear this knock? Inside the church. Who has ears to hear this knock? Jesus is on the outside. See? Somebody opens the door. Okay, Jesus is now inside the church. Nope. That's not what happens. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. The church is in trouble, my friend. Behold the last days. I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Maybe in that example of a hundred, maybe there's just one. Maybe there's two, maybe there's three, maybe there's 15. Maybe there's one. Maybe there's none. But he'll keep knocking. He'll keep knocking. Until the fullness of the Gentiles. This door of grace is not going to be open forever. The church age today is coming to a close. If you're listening and you're going to a church where the formula is not right, you, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, you jump ship. I've had this conversation with Christians. I I, I can't leave the church. You're not leaving the church. The church left the Lord. If you're going to a church where they do the glitter, they go do the grave soaking, they say, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Replacement theology. Money preachers. If you're in that, and you hear me say jump ship, and you're like, well, I can't. I'm, I, I've been going here my whole life. That's nice. 
But you're not leaving Christ. It's those pastors, those pastors who have left Christ. You see? And as a result of their teaching, have led the people away from Christ so that Christ is on the outside. So you hear me say jump ship? It's because I don't want Christ to be on the outside of your heart. I want you and me together to be right smack dab in the middle of Christ, abiding in Him. You jump ship. It's painful, I know. What do I do? What do I do? Find a pastor. Look for the formula. Pray. Look for the formula. Listen to our studies. We study the Word of God together. We navigate together through these dark times where this famine of the Word of God, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Persecuted regions where, where persecution is physical, where it's deadly to be a Christian, they're doing face-to-face only in very discreet locations. Multiple locations, you know, we're going to meet over here and then, you know, next week over here, next week over here, because if they meet in the same place, it's dangerous. So they have multiple locations, but it's face-to-face. No more online. It's face-to-face. Pray for these Christians. Pray for these saints. Pray for all the saints. Pray for the listeners. Pray for me. I pray for you. You see? It's a moment of trial. We're going to get to the study of Revelation. If you've been listening for a while, if you've been walking with us for a while, we've studied the book of Revelation. We're going to study it again. I mean, we go through the Bible systematically, but we'll get there. And in that Revelation, we're going to see a period of trial. Are we going to be like Joseph? Learning from what the Lord does, knowing how the Lord works. Just like Psalm 105, verse 19, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. I pray we do. I pray that we are the remnant and we remain the remnant. But understand that the falling away is prophesied to happen. And no flesh would be saved. That's what Jesus says. No flesh would be saved unless even the elect unless those days were shortened. That's how bad it's going to be. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. You see? It's powerful. You look for the formula. You look for the formula. You don't, If you don't have that, if you have that, it's beautiful. Rejoice. Praise be unto the Lord. But if you don't have that, I mean, in all cases, learn to make bread and store your oil because the famine is coming. The famine is already here. And lamps are going out. In verse 21, still in Revelation 3, to him who overcomes, which is to prevail in victory, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You see how beautiful this is? 
This isn't achieved without heeding the word of the Lord. In verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. Very interesting. Verse 14, church, singularity. Now verse 22, churches. You see, it's the Laodicean mindset. The Laodicean mindset. And this, this is why Paul has anxiety. This is why Paul has anxiety, because he knows this. Satan knows this. Satan likes the loud sayings. He likes it because they're not a threat to him. And this is what Paul has anxiety over. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 2. And in Colossians chapter 2, we see in verse 1, For I want you to know, remember, Paul has anxiety over this. And yet we know that the formula, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he goes to the Lord. That's the, the biblical formula. In verse 1, Colossians 2, verse 1, For I want you to know what great conflict, struggle, anxiety I have for you, Colossian saints, and those in Laodiceia. Very interesting. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. There's something very special about face-to-face studies, face-to-face Bible studies. Very special. Very beautiful. Remember our study in Acts 20, if you've been walking with us for a while? Acts 20, how Paul says, of the elders, the overseers, he says, after my departure, the wolves will come in, and even from among you, you will become wolves. Some, not all. And he says, after my departure, is Paul, you know, exalting himself and saying, look how awesome I am? No, he's not. Remember, he's a dead guy. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. He knows the power of the Lord. He's not saying, look how awesome I am. He's just laying it out. Look, after my departure, I know this is going to happen. I know this is going to happen. That the wolves will come in. And that was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. Picture today. After the departure of Paul. Where are the Pauls today? Where are the Timothys today? Where are those that are like Titus today? Where? You see? The famine in the last days. A famine of the word of God. I mean, also too, I mean, you know, do not hurt the oil or wine. These things are prophesied. Understand the, I got a friend who says all the time, you know, let's get out of the cities, move away from the cities, you know, live out in the wilderness, learn how to, you know, uh, be a fa- farm and cultivate and do all this because look, the cities are crazy. Yes, the cities are crazy, but don't forget prophecy. Don't forget prophecy. Because in prophecy, it's gonna, the, the an- power is going to be given to the animal kingdom to kill people. To kill people. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be shot than, you know, eaten by a bear. I mean, you're shot. If the guy's a bad shot, you'll be dead in like 20 seconds. But if the guy's a good shot, you'll be dead in, you know, two seconds. Maybe instantly. He's got a shotgun. You'll be dead instantly. But when prophecy comes to pass where animals start killing people, that's not a quick death. Number one, you got to run away from the bear. There's terror. You know, you're walking. You see a bear. That's terrifying. 
All of a sudden, the bear starts running at you. That's even more terrifying. And you got to run away from the bear. At least faster than the guy next to you. And then you get caught by the bear. Once you're caught by the bear, it's not instant death. Once you're caught by the bear, he might catch your ankle. Then you start eating your ankle. You're not going anywhere and you're going to feel that. You're going to feel the bones crunch. The bones just get crushed by the power of that jaw. And he's going to move up to the thigh. You're going to feel the the hip. You're going to feel that crush. I mean, you'll be like dead in, you know, a couple minutes maybe. Being eaten alive. Coyotes taking children. Wolves taking children. And yet, you know, oh, you know, get out of the cities. Go live in the wilderness. I mean, if you're an animal lover, you know, feed the animals. But I don't know about you, you know. There's relative safety in the cities. That's just me. When you understand the prophecies, that's just me. It's where the fish are anyways. You see? Where are the fish? Remember, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Prophetically speaking, just like Agabus, there will be a famine in the last days. The famine is coming. Learn to make bread and store your oil. So beautiful, the face-to-face meetings. And Paul's, Paul doesn't have that luxury. He's in jail. He's in prison, Roman prison. And yet he's writing this letter to the Colossian saints. The large majority of people he's, he's never met before. And yet he's, he has anxiety over them. Why? Because he knows, I don't want you to be like Laodicea. I don't want you to have the Laodicean mindset. I don't want you to, you know, you're, you're to run out of oil so your lamps go out. I don't want that to happen. And he has anxiety. And remember, Timmy's with him. Timmy, has, you know, there's no one as like-minded who sincerely cares for your state. Timmy has anxiety. As many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Look at the, this is a different Paul. This is a Paul when he was Saul when he was killing Christians. This is a new creation. I mean, we read passages about, you know, being a new creation in Christ. And you look at Paul, a murderer of Christians. And you look at these letters and you're like, is this the same guy? I mean, like, you know, say you're like a kid and you're like, you 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 heard stories about Paul before he was a Christian. And you're like, is this the same guy? I heard that he was, you know, had people beaten and stoned and imprisoned and dragging women and children away. So that they can be judged and stoned. I heard that that is this a sin? You got to be mistaken. This is a different guy. You see, and that's the Lord. He can do that with anyone. Changing hearts, changing minds. He's in the same business today. You see, and Paul's not trying to save face. He's not saying, oh, I, I want the I want these Christians to think I'm hardcore, so I'm not going to tell them about my anxiety. He's no straight up. He says in verse 1, I want you to know these things, guys, that I have this great conflict, this struggle, this anxiety inside of me for you. You, Colossians, you, Laodiceans, and you, as many as have not seen my face, I want you to know these things, that I have this conflict inside of me. Why? In verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged or comforted 
being knit together in love and this knit together it's not just a social club hey let's get together and have church and we're gonna go here and we're gonna study the word for 10 minutes and then we're gonna talk politics for an hour we're gonna study the the bible for 20 minutes and then we're gonna you know uh, uh talk about cars for two hours talk about the stock market for three hours no it's being knit together in love is to have close unity through instruction through instruction you see white hot hunger for the word of god and the lord knows the lord knows (laughs) people who go to church they sit in the pews they take a nap they sit in the pews and they're like oh you know okay for you kids my young brothers my young sisters whom i love You go to church, you study the Bible because mommy and dad say you have to. Well, at some point in your life, whatever mom and dad say, you know, you have a choice. I mean, you have a choice now, but you know, you also have, you know, discipline too. I mean, when I was a kid, I also had a choice, but I also had a black leather belt. You see? So it's like, okay, dad, I know you say this, but no thanks. Okay. Not just tap, tap, straight up whip, whip. Sometimes whip, 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 straight up. Kids don't have that now. Millennials, Gen Z, they, you know, that's just, maybe it's the fluoride, I don't know. But we have a choice. Learn to love the chastisement of the Lord because he disciplines those whom he loves. The Bible teaches if you are without chastisement, you are illegitimate. And I don't want that said of any of us. We learn from chastisement. The Bible says how it translates. You know, some translations say a bastard. If you are without uh, chastisement, you are a bastard. I don't want that said of any of us. I don't want to be illegitimate. I don't want you to be illegitimate. I want us to be straight up legit. In Christ, the real Christ, whose word is above his name. That's this knitting together. It's episunagage, koinenia, ecclesia. It's not just a social club. I mean, if that were the case, you know, 4-H could have the same thing. Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, they could have the same thing. But it's not the same thing. This is holy unto the Lord. Being knit together, this unity through instruction in love. Remember the greatest gift, 1 Corinthians 13. The greatest gift is love. And attaining to all riches. Remember, we just studied that from Revelation 3, where Jesus, straight up red letter, says, buy from me gold. Attaining to all the riches of the full assurance, to have full confidence, no doubt whatsoever, but to have full confidence of the understanding, of understanding to the knowledge or discernment. Of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. You see, yes, it's a mystery. The mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Yes, absolute, it is a mystery. But not to all. Not to all. Remember Ephesians 3, verse 3. We just studied this, a little refresher course. But in Ephesians 3, verse 3, Paul, you know, the mystery is made known to Paul. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4, and then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, it's so that Paul can make known the mystery. And so that other people, other Christians, other saints can know the the mystery. So that they can know 
God the Father and God the Son. And in God the Father and of God the Son, Father and of Christ, in verse 3, in whom, Father and Son, remember Jesus says, I and my Father are one. Verse 3, in whom are hidden, hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, there's a huge danger that I have to mention here. There are Christians today who pray to the Spirit. Don't do that. Oh, but I'm praying to the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Because when you open yourself up to the pneumos, remember our study through 1 Corinthians, you open yourself up to the pneumos, you're opening yourself up to the pneumos. We don't pray to the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. You see? Me personally, I pray to the Father, but always in the name of Jesus Christ. That's me personally. But you can pray to the Father, you can pray to our Father, or you can pray to Jesus. But never pray to the Spirit. It's not to deny the Spirit. You know, the Lord says, you know, not by power, not by might, but by my Spirit. But never pray to the Spirit. When you open yourself up to the pneumos, that's a different ballgame. Pray to the Father or pray to Jesus. See, and you pray to the Father, it's always in the name of Jesus. But Christians today pray in the, to the Spirit. They say, oh, you know, oh, Holy Spirit, grant me this, do this, do this. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray. You're opening up yourself up to the pneumos, the spirit realm. And that's an entirely different ballgame. You pray to the Father, and he'll use his spirit. You pray to Jesus, and he'll use his spirit. You open yourself up to the pneumos. You're opening yourself up to the pneumos. And that's a dangerous game. Of the Father and of Christ, in verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Very interesting that the Spirit isn't indicated here. It's the pneumos. You see? And so we see here in verse 4, remember, Paul has anxiety over this. Yes, you know, Laodicea, the condition of Laodicea. But then in verse 4, remember, always remember, Paul has anxiety over this matter. He says, now this I say, why? Lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Very interesting. Just like in our study in 2 Corinthians, the preacher guy. The preacher guy comes in, oh, look, he's got this degree over here. Look, he went to this seminary. And the preacher guy comes in, Paul says, you know, I'm afraid. I'm afraid for you, Corinthian saints, lest you be deceived like Eve was by the deceitfulness of sin, lest you be as Satan tempted Eve or deceived Eve, that you be moved away from the simplicity that is in Christ. The simplicity that is in Christ. The preacher guy comes in, presents another Jesus, another gospel, and a different spirit. Paul says that Satan presents himself as an angel of light. He says his ministers do the same. Servants of Satan. You see? 
pseudodelphos in our study in Galatians, false brethren who seek to bring people into bondage, seek to bring Christians into bondage. The persuasive words, you see? In verse 5, for though I am absent in the flesh, I love this so much. Because remember, in the, to the, to the, in the Miletus meeting in Acts 20, Paul says, after my departure, Paul knows, listen, I'm not going to stand for this. Remember the demon, the, uh, the demon-possessed guy, how the demon spoke and says, you know, Jesus, I know. He says, Paul, I know. But who in the world are you? You see? The demons know Jesus. The demons knew Paul. But this guy? And then that guy was overtaken him and the sons of Siva. Paul knows. Paul knows what he won't stand for. And that's not to say like, wow, he's such, he's so narrow-minded. No, he's not narrow-minded. He's very godly-minded, righteous. He's not narrow-minded. He's narrow-packed. Narrow-packed. It's a narrow path on which we walk. He says in verse 5, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. I love that so much. That's like us today. You and me. You and me. Absent in the flesh. I can't see you face to face. As much as I desire, as much as I want. But we're together in spirit. And I rejoice in that. Praise be unto the Lord. He says rejoicing to see your good order. I love this. this is a military term. It's to be like a, the rank structure, like an arrangement of troops or like a platoon. Rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness or the confirmation of your faith in Christ. Remember, our safety for you and me together, our safety is you and me together abiding in Christ, the real Christ, whose word is above his name. Not the fake Christ that says take the mark of the beast. Not the fake Christ that says go grave soaking. No. Verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Uh, uh, rooted and built up in him. Notice this foundation. Rooted, this foundation, and built up in him. Remember our study through 1 Corinthians 3? Where 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul says, you know, we are the workers, you are the field, you are the building, you are Christ's building, you are God's building. Remember? It's so powerful because you see the foundation and then you see the building being, you know, added, un- added on top of, you know, that's God's handiwork. But he uses his workers such as Paul, such as Titus, such as Timothy, such as Chloe, such as Priscilla, such as Achilla, such as Lydia, Phoebe. Remember, these are things that we've studied. I mean, if you're listening the first time, we haven't studied this, but I mean, we studied it, but you weren't there. But listen to our studies. Go back to First Corinthians. This is all. It's been recorded. Listen to these studies. Get yourself caught up so that you can grow and we can mature together. Church isn't a building. It's the people. Pastors pastors today say, you know, the church exists so that sinners can be converted and enter the kingdom of heaven. Pastors teach that. The church isn't the door. The church is not the door. Jesus is the door. You see? 
If church is going to do any saving, that formula inside that church, it better be right. It better be right in the pastors. It better be right in the elders. It better be right in the sanctuary. It better be right. The worship team, the worship leaders. It better be right. Because the Lord isn't on the outside like in Laodicea. The door is on the inside. You see? So that new believers can come to Christ right then, right there, right here, right now. Rooted and built up in him, verse 7, and established or stabilized, not on sand, not on rocky ground. I don't, I mean, rocking like, you know, being tossed to and fro. Established in the faith. You hear us say from time to time, jump ship. I don't say jump ship because I want you to, you know, drown in the ocean. I say jump ship to rescue you. I meant because some ships are sinking. Some ships are sinking and some ships are on their way to hell. I don't say jump ship to hurt you. I know you have friends in certain churches. You know, you might have a church that you've been going to for five years, 10 years, 20, your whole life. My friends are there. My friends are there. I get it. It breaks my heart. But what breaks my heart even more is when Jesus is on the outside of a fellowship. I don't like that. Remember. That's my way of saying jump ship. You know, if anyone hears and opens the door, I will come into him. That's my way of saying jump ship or jump ship is my way of saying exactly that. There's a better way. There's a better ship. It's called the ark and the ark is Christ. And so we see in verse 7, and established in the faith as you have been taught. I love that. These Colossian saints, I love them so in love with their pastors. I'm so in love with their elders. They've been taught. They know these things. But yet the threat is still there. They know, but yet the threat is there. They have good teachers, but the threat is there. This is something that Paul has anxiety over. Knowing that the threat is there. And he says, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving or super abounding in what? That faith is growing. With thanksgiving. Remember, always thankful unto the Lord. Always thank. Have you ever talked to somebody who's unthankful? They never say thank you. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? Probably won't talk to them for very long. You see? Never do that with the Lord. Always be thankful unto the Lord. Always. Just like, you know, in Philippians 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's how we go to the Lord. Letting your request be made known to God, which effectuates his promise. Peace that surpasses all understanding. You see? In verse 8, 
Beware, lest anyone, lest anyone, lest anyone. Remember, Paul has anxiety. And, you know, he seeks the Lord. Remember how he would pray when he was in prison? I mean, he would pray all the time, but I mean, like, praying. I wonder what the Lord told him. Oh, Lord, I'm so anxious for these saints in Colossae. I've never met them, and they're near Laodicea, and, you know, we know, we know what Laodicea is like, you know. Oh, I'm so... And then, you know, these Judaizers came from from uh, from from uh, Judea and then they went into, you know, they, they started to tell people to get circumcised and obey Moses. And, you know, Lord, you know, by your grace, you, you, you know, uh, you handled that, you know, and by your grace and your mercy and your love and your 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 outstretched arm and you, you handled that. And I don't want these saints in Colossae to succumb to those things, to succumb to the teachings of, you know, going back to the law or to come to these teachings of, you know, go ahead and, you know, have the sex with your dad's wife. I don't want those guys to be the influencers. Lord, I want you to be the influence. I don't wonder the Lord just, okay, write a letter. Write a letter. Okay, Lord. Picture the heart of Paul. That he's writing a letter and he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He's acknowledging his own death. And in his temple, which is his body, the Shekinah glory of the Lord, it is on point, so to speak, palpable, the kind where you got to put on sunglasses because you'll be blinded. And the outpouring of his heart, which goes on to parchment, is the canon of scripture. Not the entire canon, but a portion. Remember, he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. It says a lot about his intimacy with the Lord. To be so intimate with the Lord. So close to it. Remember, cheek to cheek. To cheek to cheekness. To be so high. That what is said, what comes out of your mouth is the Lord. What comes out onto the parchment is the Lord. Your behavior, the Lord. You know what that is? That's called crucified with Christ. That's how dead Paul was. And Paul, in his anxiety, says in verse 8, Beware, 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 lest anyone, lest anyone, any, I don't care who it is. Oh, but he's got his degree. Oh, but it's my mom. Oh, but it's my dad. Oh, it's my best friend. Oh, it's my uncle. It's my grandma. It's my aunt. It's my grandpa. It's this guy. It's this. Oh, but that's nice. What is the doctrine? Where's the fruit? And it's written here, Beware, lest anyone cheat you. Cheat you. That's to how it translates is to seduce and take you captive. To seduce and take you captive. How does this happen? Through philosophy. Philosophos. Well, we get the word philosophy, but philosophos. Friendly wisdom. That's how it translates. Philosophos. 
Oh, he's got a nice smile. Surely he says he knows what he's talking about. Look, he's with the seminarian. Surely he knows what he's talking about. Look at the size of the church. Look, they got a thousand people. Surely he knows what he's talking about. I listened to a testimony of a young female. She had a boyfriend. She loved him. He loved her. And then all of a sudden he became her pimp. He trafficked her. She saw the evil treated like dirt. He, he pimped her, made profit from her. And it all started with a smile when they first met. It all started with a smile. You see? Just like the philosopher, so look, he's so friendly, he's so friendly, but what does he teach? He's so friendly, he's so nice. What is his doctrine? What is the fruit? Look, he's got a nice smile. That's nice. Does he also give that smile to the strippers? Look, he's got a nice smile. That's nice. Does he also give that smile to the, his dealers? You see? At the casino? With Buddha? Does he, does he get that smile with Buddha? When he does his taxes for his, his clergy tax? You see? What is his doctrine? Is glitter the Holy Spirit to him? Take the mark of the beast, he'll still be saved. You see? Oh, but he's got a nice smile. That's how it happens. Paul says, beware lest anyone cheat you, which is seduce and take you captive. And it happens through philosophy and empty deceit. And this empty deceit takes time. It takes time to realize you've been deceived. Sometimes, sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes you have the discernment at the, you know, at the get-go. But sometimes it takes time. It's a process. Yes, it is absolutely true that falling away is prophesied. But I also see a little slimmer, a little sliver, a little glimmer of hope in that. Because before falling away, a person can realize that rather than leave Jesus, it is much better to leave a church. It is much better to leave a pastor. It is much better to jump ship rather than blame Jesus. So many times I talk to the Atheists, the agnostics, the non-believers, and they say, you know what? I'm done with Christianity. Why is that, my friend? Because of the hypocrisy I see in the church. I say, listen, I'm, I'm on board. I also see hypocrisy in the church. Oh, yeah, this pastor acts like he's so righteous. And look, he's having sex with these teenagers. Look, this pastor acts like he's so righteous. And he does the gambling. Gambling away church proceeds. Look, and he has this smile on his face, and he likes to pretend that he's so holy, but he also goes to the strippers. I'm done with Jesus because, I, you know, I just see his hypocrisy, and I'm done. Listen. Listen to me. That is hypocrisy. Jesus hates it, too. The same way you hate it. More, you know, more so. Jesus hates it. Jesus hates it. That means you and the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, both of you are aligned. You're on point together. 
What does that mean when there's that alignment? You, you don't like hypocrisy in the church? Jesus doesn't like that too, more so. That means you are aligned with Jesus Christ. And I say unto you, this alignment is like the safest time for you to jump ship from whatever ship you're on. It is safe for you. There is more. This alignment, there is more alignment. You come to Christ. Don't blame Jesus for the hypocrisy. Don't blame Jesus for the hypocrite pastor. The hypocrite Christians. Don't blame Jesus for that. He's going to deal with them. But don't blame Jesus for that. You can blame the faith Jesus for that, but that's the faith Jesus. You know, what, what do you expect? I mean, if you're not a believer and you're not a believer because of the hypocrisy you see in the church, okay, what do they teach? They go, go gra grave soaking? Yep, they go grave soaking. Okay, there you go. That's another Jesus. They're adhering to a, a fake Christ. Oh, I don't like the hypocrisy I see in the church. Okay, where do you go to church? Oh, I go over here. Oh, okay, so that sounds like it is uh, of this doctrine. Do they say this? Yes, they say that. Okay, there you go. Another Jesus. They say, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That's a fake Jesus. You see? And Satan uses these fake Christs to deceive, to pull people away from the real Christ. And Jesus hates hypocrisy. And sometimes it takes a while to realize that you've been deceived. It takes time to realize that you've been deceived. I mean, you know, I, I had a conversation with a gal who was in the Hebrew Roots movement. She's in the Hebrew Roots movement. And she's like, you know what? I, I went to the Hebrew Roots because it's like, you know, I see this mess that's happening in churches. And it was happening in the church that I used to go to. And there was no church government. And so I wanted to have more structure and more, um, say, judiciousness inside a church and so i went to this church you know i was gonna go to the calvinist i wasn't gonna go reformed but they're crazy so i went to the you know hebrew roots and so i went to the hebrew roots because you know at least we stay in the bible but it's torah you see and so it's torah and so now you know i like this structure i'm here and i like this and it feels good i like this it feels safe and all that but now the pastor's talking about like straight up like multiple wives so there's something wrong. Like, what? You know, like, I like the structure. I like this, but multiple wives? No, I'm not down with that. And praise be to the Lord, because what happens, you know, sometimes this empty deceit, it takes time to understand. When you're a Berean or becoming a Berean, these things take time. These things take time to where you can realize, like, oh, my goodness, my pastor's crazy. Oh my goodness, this doctrine, it doesn't align with the Bible. I shouldn't be in the Hebrew roots. And that's why we say jump ship. This empty deceit. And remember, Paul has anxiety over this. This war that rages inside of him. This struggle from verse 1. This conflict inside of him. You see, and he's telling them in verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you or seduce you. Take you captive. See, through philosophy and empty deceit. Remember verse four, he says, you know, deceive with persuasive words. 
according to the basic principles, or he says, and empty the seat according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. I love this. This is the order and the arrangement of the world and not according to Christ. These are all factors to Paul's anxiety. And he goes to God. And the Lord says, Paul, write a letter. Tell them. You see? Paul says, I want you guys to know these. Remember verse 1? I want you to know. He's not trying to save face and be like, oh, I want the Christians to think I'm hardcore. I want the Christians to think I'm hardcore, so I'm not going to tell them that I'm anxious about this. I'm not going to tell them that, I, that, I'm, that I'm, I'm desperate for their souls. I don't want to tell them, you know, I got to look like I'm tough. I got to be Mr. Tough Guy. No, he doesn't. he's just an open book. I want you to know this, that I'm, I have anxiety over you guys. Because he knows that there's wolves You see, in verse nine, for in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him. You see, you are complete in him. Remember, his word is above his name. Psalm 138, verse two. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You see, the head of all principality and power. In verse 11, in him, Jesus, the real Jesus in him, you were also circumcised. Remember, male, female. In Christ, Christianity is the only way females can be circumcised because it's not according to the flesh. It's of the spirit. It's inside the heart. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Putting it off. Done with those things are so easily ensnare you. Remember our study in Hebrews, if you've been walking with us for a while? Lay aside those things which so easily ensnare you. Putting off the sin, the, the, the putting off the body of the sins of the flesh when Jesus Christ says, Go and sin no more. How does that happen? By the circumcision of Christ. It's in the heart, it's not the flesh. Verse 12, buried with him. Boom. Buried with him. That means you're dead. Remember, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Christians say that all the time. I am crucified with Christ. Come on, let's go. Let's go get baked tonight. That's not crucifixion, my friend. Oh, I'm crucified with Christ. Come on, let's go get drunk. That's not crucified, my friend. You reckon the old man dead. We reckon the old woman dead. That's buried with him. The old nature is dead. Remember the old nature of Paul when Paul referenced his own flesh? When he was in the flesh, remember our study in Galatians, how in the flesh he would do these things according to the law. A Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel, killing Christians. And this killer of Christians is dead. He is buried with him in baptism. That's why water baptism, it's like a grave site. You go down in the water, that's like your flesh, your carnal nature being buried. That's like your coffin. Whatever body of water you're in, that's your coffin straight up. And then you come out of the water, boom, alive in Christ. The water is your grave. In which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. Translates as the effectual working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, when the formula is right, God is effectual. Now, he's always effectual he's always able but i'm talking about in you when the formula is right god is almighty all-powerful 
absolutely effectual. But I'm talking about in you. When you abide in Christ, all of a sudden, these promises of God become effectuated. You see, the good promises. Promises of blessings. But if the formula isn't right inside of you, that's when Jesus Christ becomes on the outside, like we study in Rome, uh, Revelation 3, Laodiceans, which is the mindset. What is the mindset? Denying Christ. The denial of the Lord. Remember? Hardship, in hardship, in trial, in tribulation. To become miserable instead of refined. That's how it happens. And in that state of misery, say, oh, you know, I'm done with God. I thought God was good. I thought God's promises I could take to the bank. And look, I'm in jail now. Look, I'm in prison now. Look, I'm, look, I'm suffering like this now. So I'm done with God. And that's going to happen in the last days. It's already happening. It's called the apostasy. It is prophesied to happen. One of many signs of the last days. God is all powerful. He is always able. But the formula has to be right, my friend. The real Jesus, not the fake. The real one. In verse 13, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Remember, so Colossae here, the Colossian church, they had a high population of Gentiles because of the uncircumcision of the flesh, because the Jews were circumcised. Now remember, this uncircumcision of your flesh, remember there's the threat of the Judaizers all the time. Not just the Judaizers, but even the agnostics were a threat. I mean, even the flesh is a threat. But remember the Judaizers and, you know, the uh, 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 former Pharisees who became Christians? But the problem with them is that they did, de- they did not deny their former ways, their former dogmas. And so what they did, they took it upon themselves to start, took it upon themselves to start going into churches and saying, okay, men, if you want to be a Christian, then you have to be circumcised, all the males circumcised. And for everybody, male and female, we have to obey Moses. If you want to be a Christian, then we got to obey Moses. You see, Paul took issue with that. Not just Paul, but Barnabas, Peter, James. They took issue. Remember, we studied that in our study in Galatians. Listen to the introduction. Introduction and then all of our study to Galatians. You'll understand. So there is this threat. See, Paul knows this threat. Paul's in prison. About in, you know, in a couple of years from now, he's going to be beheaded. A couple of years from this moment, he's going to be beheaded for the sake of Christ. In the name of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. And he knows the threat. He knows that these are Gentiles, largely Gentiles. But he knows that there's going to be the Judaizers to come in, or the, not just the Judaizers, but the even former Pharisee, Pharisees. Oh, if you want to, just, just like what happened in Galatia, just like what happened in the early church. If you want to be a Christian, then you'll be circumcised. If you want to be a Christian, then you got to obey Moses. The original Hebrew Roots Movement. Which I say unto you, if you're in the Hebrew Roots Movement, come out of her, my people. Jump ship. These are things that Paul has anxiety over. Understanding the threat and knowing that the saints there are exposed to this threat. And so the Lord says, write a letter. 
You see? He says in verse 13, He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You see? All trespasses. In verse 15, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, which translates as a legal document of law and decree. He's speaking about the law. That was against us. Notice he's saying us. Us. Paul is, according to the flesh, he is Jewish. And this letter to largely uh, 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 Gentile believers. But remember, in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile because we're all one. There is no male, female because we're all one. And referencing the handwriting of requirements, which is the legal document of law and decree, he says that that, the law, was against us. You know how powerful it is for Paul to come to this realization, of course, of the Lord. He was the, I don't know how to say, he was the, the cleaner, so to speak. The advocator of the law. And killing Christians and having them beaten and stoned and imprisoned. And now, as a new creation in Christ, he's saying that this law, this document of law and decree, the handwriting of requirements, it was against us. Whoa. He's a different guy. You see? Changed. He's different. He's not who he was. This is a different guy. He's not like the average bear. Remember our study in Acts? And speaking of the law, which was contrary to us, he says in verse 14, or opposed to us. You see? And he has taken it, taking, taken it out of the way. This is speaking of the law. Having nailed it to the cross. You see how powerful this is? Now, Understand that the law is absolutely over. Only, 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 only when a soul is abiding in Christ. The law is over. The law is still in effect. It is not made for a righteous person. You're in Christ. You're abiding in Christ, the real Christ. The law is not for you. You see? But you're outside of Christ, or like in the case of Laodicea, Christ is on the outside. That's not good. That means the law is still in effect where the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is always death, except when one is abiding in Christ. Believing and abiding in Christ. And the wages of sin is still death, except it was placed on his son, God's son. It was placed on Christ. Remember, the law is the additive. There was the promise to Abraham, and then the law was added because of sin. And the fulfillment of the law, which is Christ, in his death, you know, the fulfillment of the law, he himself being the fulfillment of the law himself, Died on the cross. The law, the law was nailed to the cross. See? Notice in verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, 
triumphing over them in it. Very powerful. Picture the demons. Oh, we killed him. Jesus is dead. The son of the most high is dead. We got him. No, it is written here in verse 15 that he disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That's his death on the cross. But he died. Yes, he died. In fulfillment of prophecy, he died. And in fulfillment of prophecy, the Lord rose him again in power. The same power that raises you and me up again. Remember, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Remember our study in 1 Corinthians 15? Prophetically speaking, the first resurrection. And Paul says in verse 16, so let no one judge you in food or drink. This is crino. Crino, this is to condemn to hell. It's not anacrino, it's not diacrino, it's crino. Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. <clears throat> because remember what happened in Galatia? How the Pseudadelphos, the Pseudadelphos, the fake brothers, the fake brethren, how they would come into the church, you know, unbeknownst to the church, seeking to bring them into bondage. But it was known to Paul. Remember, Paul says, you know, I don't care about this guy where this guy says this. You know, I don't care. We're not swayed by what they say. And so they wanted to bring people discreetly, you know, secretly brought in. It translates like a spy to bring people into bondage. Oh, if you want to be a Christian, we got to do what Moses says. We got to be circumcised. Everybody be circumcised. All the males be circumcised, you know, speaking according to the flesh. And that's, you know, when things are, you know, when there is uh, uh, the desire or the advocating of doing things, According to the flesh, 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 according to the flesh. That's a big indicator. That's a big red flag. You see? I mean, the preacher guy comes in and says, okay, all the males be circumcised. It's like, wait a second. That's the flesh. You see? That's the flesh. Oh, surely the Lord wants good things for you. And so he wants you to be a millionaire. So you're going to tithe, you know, a thousand dollars and, you know, the Lord will bless you and he's going to, you know, he's going to give you a millionaire. So go ahead and play the lottery and you will win. Well, wait a second. That's the flesh. If I'm a millionaire in this world, that's the flesh. You see, if it's, if you're saying, if you're prophesying that I'm going to be a billionaire, that's me in the flesh. You see? But what about a pastor who says, carry your cross, the instrument of death. Or, you know, uh, the world hates you. You know, the world wants to kill you. And in the last days, the Antichrist is going to want you dead and the world is going to be on board and want you dead and they will kill you. Attempt to kill you. There's a very, very... Narrow path to safety. The only safety we have is always in Christ. You see? That's how you know. Like, is this pastor? It sounds like this pastor is advocating for my flesh. He wants me to be a millionaire, wants me to be, you know, like, you know, what is that? That's the flesh. That's how you know.
Oh, if you want to be a Christian, you got to be circumcised. Well, wait a second. That's the flesh. I mean, you know, if they're saying circumcised of the flesh, like, you know, all the males be circumcised, that's the flesh. And that's how you'll know. There's this threat that Paul knows about. And he has anxiety about it. That these people are going to come in, these... The, 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 the very ones, just like we mentioned, the very ones who want to seduce and take captive the Colossian saints. They're going to come in and say these things with persuasive words. The preacher guy. And Paul is telling the Colossian saints, let no one judge you in food or drink. Somebody comes in and say, you know, you have to observe the festival, the new moon or the Sabbath. No, let no one judge you in that. In verse 17, these things of the law, in verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come. Remember, the law is a mere shadow. Everything we're studying in Torah, you know, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those are a shadow of the things to come. The law is still in effect. It's just the lesser glory. Remember, we we had our study where we looked at the, the low beams and high beams? There is still light in the law. It's just low beams. It's the, the lesser light than the high beams. The greater light, the greater glory is Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the law. And these things in the law are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance is of Christ. This is as a whole. But the whole is Christ. You know, have you ever watched an artist? And after five minutes, they have the shapes. They have a shape over here, a shape over there, and little paint brushes over here and you're like why well, I, I don't see it and after 10 minutes you know i still don't see it 30 minutes an hour i still don't see it five hours later okay i can see it now 20 hours later it's like whoa i see this beautiful masterpiece and that's what is written here in verse 17. We look at Leviticus, you know, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And you look at all the items of tabernacle worship. You look at all the items of sacrifice, the, the grain, the, 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 uh, the oil, uh, the, the, the offerings, uh, even the offal. The, you look at, you know, the ox and the turtle dove and you look at all these different things, the showbread, even in the, you know, the holy place, the holy of holies and everything in the tabernacle, all these little items. It's just like those little shapes that the painter is painting after five minutes. You see? A little shape over here. Ten minutes later, more shapes. Thirty minutes later, more shapes. Forty minutes later, all shapes. But then twenty hours later... You can see, you look back and you have the exact, the frame, you have everything on the canvas and everything puts to, put together. What is it? The substance is of Christ. You see? Now you see how going back to the law is dangerous. We abide in the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. The law, what we study in Torah, what we study in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those little statutes, the ordinances. You know, I just, you know, we just looked at the items like the, the grain and the oil and the, you know, even the water. But even like the, you know, uh, the process of cleansing from leprosy, uncleanness, all these different aspects, you know, think of them like little shapes. 
Little shape over here, shape over here, shape over here, shape over here, shape. You know, each individual one, you can't really see the grand scheme of things. The grand picture, you can't see it because when you look at Torah, you're just looking at little pieces. But this Pharisee of Pharisees in his former ways, a student of Gamaliel, a teacher of priests, says these things, like in verse 16, the food, the drink, the festivals, the new moons, the Sabbaths. It's a mere shadow of things to come. The Lord, through the law, was painting. Little shape over here, little shape over here. Because the substance as a whole is Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. And this fulfillment of the law was nailed to the cross. And in so doing, just like verse 14 says, he wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us, the law. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross as the law. The only way for the law to not have, be a factor in us is for us to abide in Christ. No law. It was not made for a righteous person. It was added because of sin. And once sin has been dealt with through Jesus Christ and one's abiding in Christ, remember Laodicea, Christ was on the outside. But when Christ is in the middle, Christ is inside, put on your seatbelts. Put on your seatbelts. Remember, Paul has anxiety over these things because the Colossian saints, they need to know this. But praise be to the Lord because the pastors in Colossae, the elders in Colossae, weren't like Corinth. Weren't like Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. They weren't like Corinth. They're Colossian saints. A little bit, not like the average, not like the average bear, so to speak. They're different. They teach. You see, I can't wait to meet the pastors. The pastors of Colossae, the pastor of uh, the Philippian pastors, I can't wait to meet them. Hug them. Together rejoice in the Lord. I can't wait. You see? In verse 18, Paul says again, let no one, and I'll say it again, let no one, let no one, let no one, let no one cheat you of your reward and how this translates in the greek let no one treat cheat you of your reward translates as to deprive of salvation through defrauding through charm and through deceit that's how it translates let no one cheat you of your reward taking delight in false humility remember the pseudodelphos from galatians false brethren the fake brothers Servants of Satan, as referenced in 2 Corinthians. Notice their attributes here. False humility. All while having an appearance of righteousness, but they are deprivers of salvation. You see? Like spies. How Paul defines them in our study in Galatians. How Paul, they're like spies. They're secretly brought in, covertly enter. And their whole goal is to bring into bondage because they know these servants of Satan, the pseudo-Adelphos, they know that, you know, if they're abiding in the law, that means they're not abiding in Christ where there is safety. 
It's a seduction to pull away from Christ. Meanwhile, the person thinks they are abiding in Christ. You see how tricky, how, how tricky this is? And Paul has anxiety over this. And Paul warns them, let no one cheat you of your reward. Let no one deprive you of salvation through defrauding charm and deceit, taking delight in false humility and the wor- and worship of angels. Very interesting how we see this worship of angels. Is worship of angels okay? Absolutely not. Never, ever, ever worship angels. The Catholics, they worship angels. They say it's okay. Eastern Orthodox, they say it's okay. Tobit. Tobit, Tobit, Tobit. The Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox, they say it's okay. Anabaptists, Lutherans, Anglicans, Methodists, other Protestants, they say it's okay. Why? Because they study the Apocrypha. Is the Apocrypha in the canon of Scripture? No. Which means it is outside of the Word of God and the Word became flesh, Genesis to Revelation So you go outside the safety of the word of God, look at what you open yourself up to. You want to be open to the pneumos, you're open to the pneumos. And in accordance to the pneumos, in accordance to the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, oh yeah, go ahead, worship the angels. Oh, but this Catholic, look, he's got these degrees. He went to seminary. The Eastern Orthodox, look how they dress, they wear their garb. Surely he knows what he's talking about. Look at the Lutherans, the Anabaptists, the Anglicans, the Methodists. They study the Apocrypha. They went to theology school. They got their degree in this. And according to their teachings, go ahead, worship the angels. It's okay. Pray to the angels. Worship the angels. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That these are people who will cheat you of your reward. These are people who will deprive of salvation through defrauding, through charm, and through deceit. And yes, they present a false humility. Go ahead, worship the angels. Pray to the angels. Pray that the angels intercede. That's the handiwork of Satan, my friend. Yes, inside the Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox, among the Anabaptists, the Lutherans, the Anglicans, and the Methodists. Yes, that is the handiwork of Satan. Worship angels? The Word of God says no. The Word became flesh. The real Jesus, whose Word is above His name, you'll know. But the fake Jesus? Go ahead, worship angels. Because it's a trap. The fake Christ is of Satan who's going to hell who wants to drag you with him. He doesn't want Jesus Christ inside. He wants Jesus Christ outside. Oh, but surely this is holy. Look, we got a cross over here. Look, the sign on the door says truth. Look, it says Christianity, it says church over here. Look, we got the study Bibles over here. That's nice. Does it align with the Word of God? Oh, well, this isn't found in the Word of God. We go, this is in the Apocrypha. This is Tobit. 
There, there's your answer. There's your answer. If it's not found in the word of God, and remember, the word became flesh, Jesus Christ, why are you going outside of Christ? Why are you going outside of the word? You see, you open yourself up to the pneumos, and you open yourself up to the pneumos. And in accordance to the pneumos and the zeitgeist, go ahead. Go ahead. Go, you know, look, it's holy. Worship the angels. Pray to Michael. Pray to Gabriel. Look, pray to the angels. Look, pray to the angels. I love when you read the Bible. And you see people like who don't know, like beautiful, like, you know, they're in a vision and they don't know what's happening and they see an angel and they fall down to the angel. And you know what the angels of the Lord say? They say, see that you don't do that. Don't do that. Because I'm like you, we worship the Lord. In the Bible. When people fall down to angels and, you know, to worship them and pay them homage. In the Bible, the real angels of the Lord, they say, see that you don't do that. Because we worship the Lord. You don't worship me, we worship the Lord. That's what the real angels say. But the demons who present themselves as, as angels of light, the fake ones, the imposters, they say, yes, bow down and worship me. Pray to me. That's what the fake ones say. That's what the evil ones say. Who present themselves as angels of light. Oh, look, an angel of light. I'm going to fall down. And the angel says, yes, I will grant you your wish. I will do this. Yes, but it's a trap. You say, oh, my goodness. How can you say these things? It's inside. It's already here. It's inside the church. Not to suggest that Eastern Orthodox and Catholics are the church. And if you're Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, come out of her, my people. It is not biblical Christianity, even though you think it's Christianity, even though the world says it's Christianity. That ain't the, that's not Christianity. Vatican II, salvation through Abraham? No. It's all part of the ecumenical movement of the last days. Salvation, you know, through Abraham. No. No. Don't forget Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Until the seed. The seed arrived, the seed died. Salvation through Christ. And in Him alone. Only. Jesus Christ. The real Jesus. Only Him. Only Him. Vatican II, salvation through Abraham? Sorry, nope. I mean, we haven't even mentioned Mary. You talk about Mary, we haven't even mentioned, I mean, we mentioned the angels a little bit, but, you know, speaking of salvation through Abraham? Nope. Sorry, doesn't cut butter, my friend. You're Catholic, I love you. Hit the eject button. Jump ship, come out of her, my people. You see? And not to mention, Vatican II is outside the Word of God. See? No alignment to the Word of God. That's like, you know, trying to shove a triangle in the circle hole. It doesn't fit. It does not fit. What does that tell us? It's wrong. 
Vatican I doesn't align. Vatican II doesn't align. Apocrypha doesn't align. Tobit doesn't align. Enoch doesn't align. No alignment. Triangle doesn't fit in the circle. A circle doesn't fit in the square. The rectangle doesn't fit in the trapezoid. Everything has to fit perfectly. Otherwise, Jesus Christ will be on the outside. Just like we looked at in the Laodicean church. Church. It's called church. The Laodicean church. It's called church. But why in the world is Jesus Christ on the outside? He stands at the door and knocks. You see? Go ahead, worship the angels. And these teachers, these so I'm doing my air quotes, these so-called pastors. With their false humility, oh look, let's, you know, let's bow our heads, you know, and they speak all soft and no, oh, yes, I'm a I'm a pastor, and yes, my dear brother, yes, my dear sister, all oh, this, yeah, oh, let us bow, let us pray. Oh yes, all oh, this and oh yes and Oh, yes, let's worship Mary. Oh, yes, let's call to Gabriel. Let's call to Michael. And oh, yes, save it. Everything, oh, they, they do. They wave the little thing around with the, with the smoke. Foolishness. It's all fake. False humility. Who is there who will shut the doors? And I say to you, come out of her, my people. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean-spirited. How dare you say that? You're so mean. Understand, prophetically speaking, the beast from the earth is growing. This ecumenical movement of these last days. We just had, you know, the, you know, in the news the other day that we had the, uh, uh, the march for life, the march for life for abortion, you know, or anti-abortion, which I, I don't like abortion. I don't like abortion, but there's something happening among the people. You have the Catholics with the Protestants, with the Methodists, with the Lutherans, with all these things. And you're starting to see these groups forming in this name of unity so that they can form these coalitions to come against abortion. And I hate abortion. I do not like abortion. But in the spirit realm, there remains and there exists a trap. Oh, look, we're all one. Look, we pray to Jesus. Look, you Protestants and the Catholics and the Methodists, we all pray to Jesus. So, yeah, look, we could be one. Let's have unity. People write books, you know, unity, 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 you know, crazy unity until unity, you know, crazy love. And they write their books, unity, unity, unity. It's a trap from the pit of hell. The beast from the earth, the mother of harlots. Who has daughters. Harlot daughters. Go ahead. Worship the angels. You see. Oh you're so mean. Now listen. You know. Oh you're so mean. You're so mean. How dare you. Don't go to this guy. He's crazy. Don't go to this guy. He's lost his mind. Oh you know. Does I have love. Listen. Understand. That these deceitful workers. The pseudodelphos. What the Bible refers to as servants of Satan. Remember our study through 2 Corinthians. In verse 18. They cheat you of your reward. 
which translates in the Greek. They deprive of salvation through defrauding. They deprive of salvation through charm. They deprive of salvation through deceit. And I'm the bad guy. You see, Paul's the bad guy. Little Timmy, he's the bad guy. Priscilla, she's the bad gal. Chloe, she's the bad gal. No. These servants of Satan, they take delight in false humility. In the worship of angels, look at verse 18, intruding, it's to embark and aboard ship, intruding into those things which he has not seen. You see, he has not discerned. He has no intimacy with Christ. Paul, he has intimacy with Christ. Chloe, she has intimacy with Christ. And look at their hotness. They're not cold. They're not lukewarm. Chloe, white hot. Paul, white hot. Lukewarm, not good. That's straight up Laodicea, what we studied in Revelation 3. You see? And this is nothing. This is nothing. This is like skipping on lilies. It's going to get so much worse in the last days. It's going to get so much worse. The beast from the earth is going to draw fire down from heaven. That's what is prophesied. Do you know how many people will fall down and worship him when that happens? Do you know how many people will worship the beast from the earth when he draws down fire from heaven? Everybody is going to fall down and worship except the remnant. You see? What we're experiencing today, nothing. This is a walk in the park. Not even a walk in the park. This is like stroller through the park. Not even that. This is like, I don't know, nothing. It's less than that. It's going to get amped up so much worse. And already, even we're in the quasi walk in the park phase, which is, you know, lighter than that. You already see Christians succumbing to the lie, being dragged away. By the servants of Satan. You see? Who intrude into things which they have not seen. Vainly puffed up in verse 18. By his fleshly mind. It is carnal. It is not of the spirit. And when it's not at the, of, the, of the spirit. You're not going to find the fruit of the spirit. That's why the Lord says look at the fruit. That's how you know. Look at the fruit. You're not going to see the fruit of the Spirit in somebody who is teaching false doctrine. You're not going to see, you're going to see religion. You're going to see statutes and rules and all these different things. And But you're not going to see the fruit of the Spirit. You're going to look at, you know, a pastor, but then you're going to look at like a basket case wife because she's like in prison because she, she's not loved like Christ loves the church. You're going to see basket case wife. You're going to see basket case kids. But yet, false humility with a smile on his face. Oh, yes, let us speak all somber with the false humility. 
Oh, let us pray. They speak with their somber voice. And, oh, yes, God bless you, brother. Oh, my beauty, my brother. Oh, let's pray. And uh, uh, let us pray. Thus saith the Lord. And they speak. Everything's fake. It's all show. It's like, it's like an act. That's what it is. But the ones who've had intimacy with, with Christ, the real Jesus, wait till we get to the pastoral epistles. How pastor teaches pastor. Wait till we, I mean, we're just looking at the, the letters for churches. And remember, I mean, if you're listening for the first time, I mean, <laughs> if you're listening for the first time, you know, start with First Corinthians because we kind of we kind of build up to this moment. There, I mean, you're, we're looking at like hardcore stuff. You know, we you know start in First Corinthians chapter one and listen to those studies because we we build up to this moment. So if you're listening for the first time, you're like, what? You know, start with <laughs> start with First Corinthians. And then, you know, listen, this is like, you know, remember, this is like, you know, post-grad studies. If you listen to our study from last week, this is like post-grad. But it's still the same. The, the, the threat is there for, you know, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3. The, the, the threat is still there. In many ways, you could say they're under that threat. The threat has already entered because you look at the fruit. Look at the fruit in the churches. Look at the fruit in the lives. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. You know, a lot of times pastors, they like to say, oh, look, we have the fruit. Look at the fruit. We have a thousand people in our church. Look at the fruit. That's carnal. What you see with your eyes, that's that's the carnal fruit. And the things of the flesh are at enmity with the things of the Spirit. Oh, look at all the fruit we have. We have a thousand members. And look now, you know, that was last week. And, you know, th this week we have a thousand five hundred members. And oh, look at the fruit. Oh, look at this. Look at that. But then you look at the actual people. You know, you got a crackhead over here, sex head over here. The pastor's dealing drugs. You know, the pastor's going gambling. You know, you, the elders are cheating on their wives. You got the youth leaders are having sex with the kids, the teenagers. Sick. Disgusting stuff. Now you see why the Spirit says to Peter, judgment comes first to the church. Because the church is straight up crazy town in the last days. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. These tricksters come in. To deprive of salvation. I mean, to, to deprive of salvation. That's a big deal. That means somebody is nice and safe inside of Christ. Nice and safe. And then the fake brother comes in. The pseudodelphos. The servant of Satan. You see? With persuasive words, false humility. Hey, come on, let's worship the angels. Let's we're gonna go lay on the graves. God is done with Israel. Oh, let's go ahead and take the mark of the beast, and we'll still be saved. Let's go worship Gabriel. Let's call the Holy Spirit glitter. And what are they doing? They're attempting to drag people out of Christ. 
They're attempting to pull people away from Christ. Remember the example we gave several weeks ago? Baby girl's nice and safe in the house. And you say, baby girl, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You stay right here where it is nice and safe for you in the house. You stay right here where it's nice and safe. Baby girl, I'll be back. I'm coming back for you. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Now, while you're away, who's knocking at the door? Hello there, miss. They come with the persuasive words. It'll, you know, salesman lingo. Hey there, how you doing? How you doing, miss? Or they come in, you know, humbly. Oh, hello there, madam. Hello there, madam. Oh, look how beautiful the Lord is. Oh, yes, and he has his angel Gabriel. Hello there, miss. Let's go worship Gabriel. You see? They present themselves as all kinds of persuasive words, using all these persuasive words, but their whole mission of Satan is to deprive of salvation, to take baby girl out of that house where it is safe and to drag baby girl to hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see? But you say, baby girl, stay here in the house. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And then before you left, you've been eyeballing some guys. Wow, this guy is something different about this guy. And you go to the guy, hey guy, I want you to stand post right here. I want you to stand post right here. And what I want you to do, guy, is to feed baby girl, make sure she's well nourished so that she can grow and mature. And, you know, wolves are going to come. And when you see the wolf, I want you to kill them. Metaphysically speaking. The guy who you've been eyeballing. He says, okay. Okay. And now you continue in your, to go and prepare a place for baby girl. Wolf comes. The guy who you put at post Kills the wolf. Baby girl's nice and safe. You see? And I speak metaphysically. I'm not talking about going and killing false teachers. The Lord will do that. You see? Baby girl's nice and safe. Baby girl can eat and be fed. You know, holy food. And who's on post? It's safe. Wolf comes, wolf dies. Dead wolf. Carcass. Metaphysically speaking, but a carcass nonetheless. That's Paul. When Paul says, you know, after my departure, the wolves are going to come in. Paul knows, hey, I'm, I'm on post. I'm under orders. I'm on post. Wolf comes, wolf dies. Wolf carcass. Multiple wolves comes, multiple carcasses. But Paul says to the elders, after my departure, when I leave, the wolves will come in, even from among you. Acts 20, read it, listen to our studies. You see? And these wolves come in, presenting themselves as, as we studied in 2 Corinthians, ministers of righteousness. That's what they do. And their whole purpose, 
Just like the faithful ministers of God, there is for people to be right with the Lord, to be clean before the Lord. The opposite is true with the servants of Satan. You see? Because they want to drag them to hell. Go ahead, worship the angels. Look, it has an appearance of righteousness. Worship Gabriel, worship Michael. Oh, look, there's this other angel. It's not in the Bible, but there's this other angel that we worship. You see? It's serious business. That's why Paul says, you are God's building. We are the workers. Now, if you're a pew Christian, that's not to say that you're a pew Christian and you stay a pew Christian. Because as you grow, as you mature, all of a sudden, the Lord might say, hey, now, you know, you've been my building and, you know, we've done this work. And now I want you to be a worker. You see, and the workers are, you know, co-workers with the Lord. Remember our study through First Corinthians, co-workers with the Lord. Not to build a church in the Palisades, not to build a church on the waterfront because the building is the saints. It's to build them up, equip, train. These are things that Paul has anxiety over because he knows this threat is very real. You see? In closing, Verse 19, speaking about these, these people, these deprivers of salvation in verse 19, and not holding fast to the head, not holding fast to Jesus. You say, wait a second, I thought you said they were servants of Satan. Yes, Satan has in active duty his servants. But just same thing, you know, for each generation, that generation is going to die and, you know, he needs to raise up another generation. And so that's how people, just like in, in the, the Miletus meeting from Acts 20, the overseers, how one of the threats Paul says after my departure, ravenous wolves will come in and even from among yourselves, some of you will become the wolves. And that's what happens to the overseer, to the pastor. Not holding fast to the head. And to hold fast is to hold on with strength. It's like to hold on for dear life. Not holding on to Jesus. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. And a pastor, an elder, an overseer, rather than being a channel to salvation... A person, a pastor, an elder, an overseer doesn't hold on to Jesus. And now the person becomes a depriver of salvation. And you see it. It pains me to say this, but at the same time, I'm glad I can say it. Because we're living in a day and it's going to get even more palpable more visual as we get further in the last days. But we're living in a time where you can see these things happen. Where 15 years ago, 20 years ago, like, wow, this guy was such a good pastor and he taught sound doctrine and all these things. And now look, he's a transgender. It's like, what? Well, that took, that's a process. 
Or look, this this guy, well, he's taught sound doctrine, all these things, and now he's teaching like straight up crazy town. Now he wants us to worship angels. Now he wants us to go grave soaking. Now he wants us to take the mark of the beast and still be saved. Now he wants us to say, to read these coalition books, you know, and God is done with Israel, the replacement theology. We're living in a time where we're seeing these things happen. And in that, I rejoice because passages like this, now we see what is happening in the spirit realm. But there's also an inherent danger to that because we also know time is growing shorter and shorter. I mean, if I were to teach like this and it were like, you know, 1830, understandably, you know, I could be, you know, like borderline, you know, like, I don't want to say crazy town, but just like, you know, you know, not as intense. Because the cliff is far away. But as we get closer to the cliff, there's danger. And that's why we say, jump ship. Jump ship. Because among the elders, just like Paul says, after my departure, among the overseers, ministry leaders, pastors, elders, teachers, Instead of being a channel to salvation, by not holding fast to the head, Jesus, a person becomes twisted, serving Satan. Remember, apostasy is a defection away from truth. And to defect away from Christ is to enter the hands of Satan. And now such a person becomes a depriver of salvation. See, speaking of Jesus Christ in verse 19, you know, not holding fast to the head, which is Jesus, from whom, from Jesus, all the body nourished, which is to be fully supplied and nourished, uh, 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 nourished and knit together. There it is again, close unity through instruction. It's not close unity because, you know, look, we, we talk politics. Oh, close unity because we have a sewing club. Close unity because we talk stock market. Close unity because we talk, you know, about cars. Close unity because we talk about toasters or plants and, you know, gardening or whatever. That's a social club. It's close unity through instruction. Studying the Word of God. Studying the Word of God. Remember lukewarm? You can't mandate hot People have a choice to make. Just like Moses, he just lays it out. Okay, ball's in your court. Same thing. Word of God. It is taught. It's laid out. Okay, ball's in your court. But once the ball's in your court, understand what is happening in the spirit realm. Satan wants to take that seed out of your heart, lest you should believe. You see? That's what happens. Remember, seeds can, you know, the through the cares and riches of life. Oh, I don't like to be under this trial. I don't like to be under this trial. You know, God's promises, they're not coming to fruition in my life. So you know what? I think I'm done with him. My Buddhist friend seems to be doing very good. So you know what? I'm going to go worship Buddha now. You see? That's what happens. This is what Paul has anxiety over. 
Yes, it is written, be anxious for nothing. But to go to the Lord. Anxiety is part of the human experience. Depression, part of the human experience. Anger, part of the human experience. Remember David? He was so angry that in his prayer to the Lord, Lord, I want to take their babies and smash them into stones, smash them against the rocks. That's anger. That is straight up anger. Have you ever been so angry that you want to go to the child of your enemy and take and pick him up by the ankle and bash him against rocks? That's how angry David was. And he, in his anger, he goes to the Lord. You see? In your anger, go to the Lord. In your depression, go to the Lord. In your anxiety, go to the Lord. We fall on our faces before the Lord. And you know what happens? Look at all the things that become effectuated, just like we studied in Philippians. The peace of God, which surpass all understanding. When you're a new creation, like, wow, Lord, you know, I know I should be angry right now, but wow, Lord, like, I don't even care. These things used to make me mad. Now it's just like, you know, who cares? Lord, I used to hate this guy. Now I love him. Lord, you know, you know, I shouldn't have prayed that, I, you know, to bash their kids against rocks. Lord, forgive me that my heart, but you're so good, Lord, because look at what, look at how, where you've brought me. I don't have this anger anymore. I don't have this rage anymore. I don't have this depression anymore. I don't have this anxiety anymore. Lord, you healed me. Behold the handiwork of our Lord. But not everybody has eyes to see this. See? In verse 19, this knitting together, which is through instruction by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. It's from God our Father. Remember, God is reactionary. And this growth that is from God our Father, hallowed be his name, it is holy unto him. But understand, the deprivers of salvation, they have growth too. It's carnal. It's carnal. It's of the flesh. You'll see large churches. You'll see many people, which they call fruit. Oh, look, we have a thousand people and look, we have all this fruit. But you will not find fruit of the Spirit. You will not find sound doctrine and all that's implied. You won't find that. Behold the famine of the word of God. You see? Therefore, if you died with Christ, the word of conditionality, therefore, if, 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 if you died with Christ, that means the old man is dead. That means the old woman is dead. The old nature is dead. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, this is the order of the world, the carnal ways, which in these last days is growing even more evil. And if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why? Why, as though living in the world, why do you subject yourselves to regulations? This is translates as statutes. Now, is this particular, particular to the law of Moses? Maybe. Maybe. Perhaps. Could be. Is this particular to the law of Moses? Don't forget the threat of, you know, the Judaizers and even the people who say, oh, if you want to be a Christian, you're going to be circumcised. And, you know, the men being circumcised, then you're going to obey the law of Moses. It could be. 
Verse 21. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. You figure, wait a second. Some of these regulations and statutes, they're not so bad. Do not touch. I can't touch just anything. Do not taste. I can't, you know, do not handle. I I shouldn't be handling just anything. These are regulations subjected to oneself, imposed unto oneself. Don't forget that we have freedom in Christ. But it is also written for you and me not to use that freedom in Christ as license to sin. Remember our study in Romans? Should we, does that mean that we should sin more so that grace can abound? Question mark. Absolutely not. Exclamation point. Remember, remember, remember. Remember in our study in Romans how to take account for another person's conscience? You see? Very important to understand these things. Yes, we have a tremendous freedom in Christ and we are free. But never use it as a license for sin. That is the way of the Laodicean. Oh, look, I'm born again. I am free in Christ. Come on, let's go do crack. Oh, I am free in Christ. Let's go get baked. Let's go see the strippers. Let's go gambling. Let's go worship Buddha. Look, we're free in Christ. Never use freedom as license to sin and always account for another's conscience. Always account for another's conscience. And Paul asked this question, why is it? Why is it that you subject yourselves to regulations? It sounds like, wait a second, Paul is, I thought regulations were good. Why is it that Paul, it sounds like they're, they're not good. It points the finger back at the Christian, the believer. Because regarding these regulations in verse 22, which all concerns things which perish with the using or the act of using or the handling of the, you know, the, the, the regulations pertaining to XYZ, these XYZs all pertain to things which perish according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. Remember, in the order of the world. So what is it Paul, Paul's getting at? What does he say? Paul, I thought, I thought it's good to have this, this regulation in our lives. I thought it's good to have the, to, 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 to be governed by God. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, we have freedom in Christ. Yes, never use freedom as license to sin. And yes, always take account for another's conscience. A brother's conscience, a sister's conscience. And in the brother, in the sister who you're accounting for their conscience, the formula must be right because they might say, you know, oh, you know what, you know, you, you say, you know, like the, the, the brother, in the, 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 the person, the person invites you to go grave soaking and you're like, no way. And the person says, well, you're hurting my conscience. You're supposed to be mindful of this. Like grave soaking. That's like, what? For your conscience, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sacrifice the Lord for the sake of your conscience. No, it's the other way around. I'm not gonna go grave soaking and look, you have a little study session. Look, grave soaking is evil. It's an abomination before the Lord. Necromancy. 
You know, get a new pastor, jump ship. You see, the formula has got to be right. Not to account for, you know, another's conscience that wants to go grave soaking. Not to account for another's conscience that, want, that wants to take the mark of the beast and still be saved. You see, that's false doctrine. That's another Christ. I'm talking about another's conscience in the Lord, in the real Jesus. You see, it's also another trap of Satan. So what is Paul saying? Paul, I thought these regulations, I thought these were good safeguards for us. Yes, absolutely, that there are good safeguards for you and me. Absolutely. And of these things, in verse 23, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion or piety and sanctimony. It's to appear righteous when one is really a hypocrite. Wait a second. That presents more questions. Paul is asking in verse 20, why as though living in the world do we subject ourselves to regulations? And then he's also saying that they have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. What? I don't get it. Is he talking about the people who say, you know, uh, 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 be all the men be circumcised and let's follow Moses? Is he talking about that? It could be he's talking about those laws and those statutes. It could be. But this is a Gentile church. Okay, it could be other statutes. Self-imposed regulations which have an appearance of wisdom self-imposed religion or, you know, piety, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. What in the world is Paul talking about? It's asceticism. In verse 23, neglect of the body, that's asceticism. It's to have extreme abstinence from the world. It's the mindset that says, you know what? I'm going to be a monk. I'm going to be a hardcore Christian. I'm going to be a monk. But the warrior mindset means you have to do warrior stuff and live a warrior life. That's the warrior mindset. Oh, I'm going to be a monk. So what is Paul talking about? I'm going to be a monk. I'm going to go live the monk life. It seems to have the appearance of wisdom. It seems to be wise. It has an appearance of religion, an appearance of piety, an appearance of humility, an appearance that I'm neglecting the body. Oh, look, I'm neglecting the things of the world and I'm going to go be a monk. Abstinence from the world. And with carnal eyes, you say, whoa, this, whoa, this guy lives a warrior life. Whoa, this guy is hardcore. Whoa, this guy. Look, he's so pious. Look at his humility. Whoa, he's going to go be a monk. Whoa. But. But. In secret. There's the secret life of drugs. Secret life of crack and the meth and the sex and the strippers, the pornography. The prostitutes, the alcohol, 
Oh, but this guy's a warrior. Look, he's going to go be a monk. Look, he's so humble. Look, he's got the nice smile on his face. And wow, he's he hates the world so much that he's going to go be a monk. But there's a secret life. With carnal eyes, whoa, this guy's a warrior. Look how hardcore he is. But don't forget, the warrior life, the real warrior life, must also include the warrior mind. You see? And vice versa. The warrior mind must also include the warrior life. It's all for show. That's what Paul is saying. It's all for show. In this example, it's like, whoa, you know, look, this guy's holy. Look, he's, got, he's so done with the world that he's going to be a monk. But it's all an act. Oh, look at the pastor. Look, the pastor is so holy. But he's doing his meth. Oh, look, this pastor, he's so, he's a pornography doing his sex, the prostitutes, the strippers. Oh, this pastor's so holy. He worships Buddha. Oh, this pastor's so holy. He worships angels. He prays to angels. It's all fake. It's all for show. In verse 20 is found the key. Therefore, verse 20, if you died with Christ. Boom. If you died with Christ. Remember Paul? Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Remember Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. That's Paul. Christians say it all the time. Oh, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm sorry. I don't see crucifixion. I don't see, I just call it like I see it. Christians say, oh, I'm crucified with Christ. Are you really? Are you really? Brother, are you really? Sister? Let's look at social media. Oh, look, little, you know, drunk party over here. I don't see crucifixion. Oh, what's this over here? You're at the strip club? Oh. I don't see crucifixion. You see? What's this? You got a picture with your face in the toilet? And that was just yesterday? I don't see crucifixion. Pastors and elders. And what's so powerful about pastors and elders, now you open up the household. There's the inclusion of wife and kids. Oh, I'm a godly man. You know, listen to what I say. But your wife's a crackhead. Therefore, you're disqualified because if you can't keep your own house in order, how can you keep the, the, the Lord's house? Your, your home is unclean. How can you keep the Lord's house clean? You see, let not many be teachers. Oh, I'm a godly man. You know, I'm a teacher. You know, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be an elder. Look, I'm an overseer. And look how awesome I am. Your wife's a sex head. Your wife's, you know. You're, look at your kids. Your kids are doing the Ouija boards. Your son is a crackhead. Your daughter's a stripper. No, get your house in order. 
Get your house on. Clean your house. You honor the Lord in getting your house in order. You see? And as for now, you cannot be pastor. As for now, you cannot be elder. Wait till we get to the pastoral epistles. You'll see how hardcore it is. Pastor to pastor. Uh, pastor Paul exhorting Pastor Timothy. Pastor Paul exhorting Pastor Titus. You'll see. It's like, whoa, this is hard. When Paul says, Paul says, their mouths must be stopped. They teach on things on which they ought not to teach. Their mouths must be stopped. It's like, whoa, that's hardcore. I mean, you look how Paul speaks to the Philippians. You look how Paul speaks to the Corinthians, like in 1 Corinthians 3. But then you see how Pastor Paul speaks to Pastor Timothy. It's hardcore. You see? So we read these things, like verse 20, verse 21. It's like, wait a second. You know, Paul asks this question in verse 20. Why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Wait, I thought these regulations were good. I thought they're safeguards for us. Yes, they're safeguards. But which all concerns things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. And yes, these things have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but have no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Flesh, flesh, flesh. That's what makes verse 20 even, it highlights how important and how beautiful it is because it begs the question, well, what do we do then? Verse 20, if you died with Christ... You know what that means? That means the old man is not just, I wonder if he's dead. That means that old nature, that old man, that old woman, not just, I wonder if she's dead. That means that old woman, that old man is straight up dead. Dead. And I speak metaphysically. I don't mean you don't jump off a bridge. I mean, you take the old man, you take the old woman and you reckon him, you reckon her dead. I mean... For some Christians to enter a bar, very dangerous, very dangerous. For him, regulations are good. Don't go to the bar. For certain Christians to enter, uh, 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 to walk through a part of town, a shady part of town, very dangerous. Avoid. Because they're babies. They're still, you know, flesh and spirit. They're learning to make this discernment. Okay, this is according to the spirit. This is according to the flesh. They're learning. Okay, what do I do? What do I do? They're learning. But in maturity, remember, these are like post-grad studies. When a person is dead, straight up dead with Christ, that's a different ballgame. That's a different ballgame. That means, you know, let's get down and dirty. Let's enter the dirty, dirty. Because we're going fishing. You see? Maturity in Christ. That's like straight up, you know what? Like like what the Lord did with, with Moses. Takes Moses out of Egypt. Works him over. And then says, okay, Moses, now we're going back. 
We're going back to Egypt. You see? And that work over period, that, that takes years. Growth and maturing. Understanding. You see? Learning. Being a sponge. That takes, remember Paul said, don't let nobody be a no, no, novice in, in, in ministry. Pastors and elders, no novices. Remember, you open yourself up to the, not, like Paul was open to the pneumos. Except he could engage in that battle. Paul says, after my departure, ravenous wolves will come in even from among you. Because Paul was dead, he was relying on the strength of the Lord. He knew. Wolf comes, wolf dies. Metaphysically speaking. Just like with Moses, the Lord takes Moses out of Egypt, works him over, you know, puts him together. We're the clay. He is the potter. And then says, okay, Moses. <laughs> Picture the shock of Moses. Now we're going back to Egypt. You see? I got a job for you, Moses. We're going back to Egypt. And that's what's so powerful about church sanctuary. And I I say that not, not in a building fashion, not in a brick and mortar building, even though it could be comprised of brick and mortar. But when the formula is right, in the pastor, in the elders, in the congregation. And you don't understand that in the congregation, you're going to have mature Christians and you're going to have baby Christians. Now, the babies have to be brought up and trained up. But when, you know, baby behavior, when a person is a Christian for three years and they're still a baby, five years and they're still a baby, ten years and they're still a baby, that's when biblically we enter the leaven material. But when there's no leaven and the leaven is dealt with and you're still going to have babies, do you see how safe it is in that sanctuary, which is could be brick and mortar? It might not. It might be under a tree. You see? It might be in a tent. It might be in a house. It might be around a table, a little home fellowship. And when that formula is right, and you know, all the multiple pots, remember the, the multiple burners, multiple pots, and inside each pot is a different recipe, and the formula is right, the recipe is perfect. In each little pot of what the Lord is cooking, and what the Lord is baking, we haven't even talked about what's in the oven, what the Lord is baking in the oven. And the ingredients, everything is perfect. Leaven pops up, okay, leaven gone. And you know, that takes time too. We exercise grace and mercy. All in love, but the leaven is dealt with. Now you can take, you can take a five-year-old girl and couple her with a thirteen-year-old, you know, girl who is the thirteen-year-old is looking out for the, you know, the five-year-old girl. You 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 have beautiful fellowship where the thirteen-year-old girl is now helping to train up in this arena called the sanctuary where we roll around on the mat and we learn how to fight now the five-year-old is learning from you know how like five-year-olds look up to like teenagers like wow you know what i, I really look up to this teenage girl i mean you know for the girls you know i really look up to this teenage girl 
because you know I love my parents and all that stuff, but you know they're my parents, and you know I, I, I you know that safety in the fellowship. The thirteen-year-old girl is going to encourage her. You know, yes, you know we you know we submit to our parents, our mom and dad, because they're training us, they're teaching us, and it's honoring the Lord, and we submit to our parents. And now the 13-year-old girl is the influencer of the 5-year-old. And that 13-year-old girl who was also influenced when she was 5 by a thir- another 13-year-old girl who are all influenced by their parents. You see? Taught from the Word of God, which is taught from a pastor. A teacher. To pour into. A 15-year-old boy can fellowship with the 35-year-old male because the 35-year-old male is pouring into the 15-year-old boy. It is safe. There's no leaven. It's all being dealt with in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. And all of a sudden, the 35-year-old male starts to speak in tongues a gift of the Spirit. And the 15-year-old boy says, Thus saith the Lord, and interprets what the tongues is, what, what the, you know, the 35 year old is saying in tongues. And the 15 year old now has the gift of interpretation. And it's just specific prophecy for a certain individual. Just like there was a certain prophecy on little Timmy that he was going to be a ministry leader one day. And helping these things come to pass, you know, hey, Paul, can you take our son under your wing? In fulfillment of these prophecies we want. And then all of a sudden, okay. Do you see how safe it is for to, to inside this sanctuary where it is safe? The arena, so to speak. It is safe to bear one another's burdens. The 13-year-old girl in 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 having fellowship with the five-year-old girl, is it going to teach the five-year-old how to, you know, uh, be carnal? Is it going to teach her, you know, hey, look, you got to dress like this and dress because the boy is like this and you got to dress like this? No, the 13-year-old girl is going to help train up the the five-year-old. I mean, ultimately, the parents do it, but like the, the, the 13 there's safety in that. Two 15-year-old boys can bear one another's burdens. It's, it's safe in this arena, on this training ground, in this area, this arena of equipping and ministering for the, the saints for the, for the work of the ministry. This is how pew becomes pulpit this is how field becomes worker this is how building becomes worker it's the training ground for the next generation yes of righteousness but also of the next generation of pastors and elders and teachers do you see church should be safe but it isn't it isn't Always look at the fruit. So we read this and it's like, wait a second, Paul, you know, these, these statutes, so I thought these rules and, you know, not statutes in accordance to the law, but, you know, I have these rules in place as a safeguard, you know. 
Paul, I don't go to the, you know, I, you know, I'm the Lord rescued me from from uh, 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 from crack, so I don't go, I don't go to this corner because I know the crack dealers are there. I don't go there. It's like, wait, look, that's okay for you. That's okay for you. But remember, verse twenty: If you died with Christ, that means crack is no longer a threat. That means straight up, let's go back to Egypt. That means instead of the the dealers being a threat to you, you be a threat to them. You see? These are all things which Paul and Timothy have anxiety over because they know the threat. They know the pseudodelphos. They know the false brethren. They know the, 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 the servants of Satan. They know that there are the deprivers of salvation. They know that they're there. With, they speak with these persuasive words. Saints of Colossae and Laodicea and those who haven't seen Paul face to face. Saints that are in a dark world. That the Laodicean mindset can be the influence. And even though he doesn't want it to be the influence, Lord, what do I do about this? He goes to his face before the Lord. The Lord says, Paul, write a letter. Tell them. Tell them. Teach them. Pour into them. It's much like parents. Oh, you know, this world is so dangerous for baby girl. This world is for so dangerous. It's so dark and it's so evil. You know what the remedy is? Make baby girl deadly. Make her more dangerous. You see, yes, the world is dangerous for anybody. But to be more dangerous. In accordance to the Spirit. Just like Ephesus. Great is Diana of Ephesus. That's nice. Look at the Lord. Remember, there was a great commotion about the way. You see? It's the same with pastors. Oh, the world is dark, all these things. And just like Paul, this anxiety, like, oh my goodness, what are these saints going to do? I worry about the saints, the saints over here, the saints over there. Pastors, go to your face before the Lord. Train, equip, teach, and protect. It's not train and equip to be babies. Train and equip in sanctuary, the training ground, so that the saints can be more dangerous than the world around us. You see? Oh, let's flee to the mountains. Go live out in nature. The cities are dangerous. That's where the fish are. You see? The formulas are... When the formula is right, these promises of God and from God, they become effectuated in us individually and corporately in a church. That's when you get into like 
the book of Acts. I mean, have you ever read the book of Acts and you're like, why don't I see this in the church today? You read the book of Acts and you're like, why, 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 why don't I see this in the church that I go to? I read the book of Acts, we read the book of Acts. Like, why don't I see this on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly? Why don't I see the straight up Acts stuff? And as a result, people come up with their conclusions about the Holy Spirit. Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. They make up these conclusions. They come up with these theories to excuse their own carnality and their own unbelief. The disconnect is the saint from sound doctrine. Once the formula is right, all these things become effectuated. They become active inside of you, inside of me, inside of the church. The power of God. The power of the Holy Spirit. Oil for our lamps. You see? So we have light for the dark. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.